Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hello, Julian DeStoop here. On the podcast today, we were joined by Robert Crash Craddock talking cricket and his thoughts on moving the Sydney Test to Melbourne. Tennis great Todd Woodbridge previewed the Australian Open. Thankfully, it's going ahead on February 8 with tickets on sale today. South East Melbourne Phoenix star Mitch Creek joined us to talk NBL, NBA, the Olympics and his mental escape, jumping out of planes. We continued the cricket flavour with Darren Berry. Chuck reflected on the loss of Dean Jones and the tribute in place in the Boxing Day test. Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation joined us from Los Angeles, head of the NBA season tip-off, and we talked golf with Paul Gow. Welcome to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop uh, with you. Uh, not exactly summer weather outside in uh, Melbourne today. Not going to be the warmest Christmas, but the good news is uh, the forecast for Boxing Day is outstanding. Uh, 27 degrees and... Uh, Let's hope, given the year we've had in 2020, we get through unscathed in terms of the weather uh, with the Boxing Day test. We'll speak plenty about uh, the cricket coming up on the show this morning. We're going to speak to, uh, first of all, Robert Craddock, who's written a really interesting article about what should happen uh, with the Sydney test. We know the results in Sydney in terms of COVID weren't too bad uh, yesterday, but st- still no certainty that that test match, uh, the third test of the series, the New Year's test, uh, will go ahead. Uh, Melbourne, it appears, is on standby at the moment. And, and basically, Robert Craddock's article uh, today says that uh, if they can't get crowds in Sydney, uh, they shouldn't be playing it there. They should play it in Melbourne and try and get uh, 10 days of cricket with about 25,000 to 30,000 uh, every day. So we'll speak to Robert Craddock uh, about that issue. We'll also speak. Steve Smith was uh, pretty... Uh, well, explosive comments yesterday on the show when he we asked him about uh, Ian Chappell's comments about uh, bouncing tail-enders. He was pretty critical of uh, Ian Chappell, so we'll speak to Crash about that and also all the build-up to the second test. Just can India bounce back after that humiliation uh, in Adelaide against now what, what looks like a pretty settled uh, Australian lineup. So we'll also talk some cricket uh, with Darren Berry, the lead-up to the second test with him, and also the BBL, an absolute howler of the decision uh, in the match last night, AJ Ty was not very impressed uh, with the umpiring there. Uh, so we'll speak to Darren Berry about that. Uh, tickets for the Australian Open Golf, uh, Australian Open Golf, Australian Open Tennis uh, go on sale today. It's going to be a very different tournament, as we know, for the players. It's also going to be very different uh, for the fans as well. Uh, normally, it's 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 not just a tennis tournament anymore at uh, Melbourne Park. It's an event. It's almost like the races where you, you can go and actually not see much tennis live at all and still have a fantastic time with all the activations, uh, all the live music and all the, the social opportunities at the tennis. But it's going to be very different this year. Basically, uh, you're going to be zoned off. You, you buy tickets, it's going to be three different zones. You can only sit with um, five other people in terms of uh, you can't buy mass tickets of more than uh, six per uh, six people sitting together. So it's going to be very different uh, from a spectator point of view. So we'll speak to Todd Woodbridge, uh, Channel 9 tennis commentator, about that. And also uh, the build-up to the tournament. The good news is so far, touch wood, that all the big names have confirmed 
uh, they ca- are coming out. So obviously a lot, a bit of uh, time to go between now uh, and the 8th of February. Uh, but uh, so far, so good. And it looks like Roger Federer is on track to come. So we'll speak to Todd Woodri- Woodbridge about that uh, later on in this first hour. Plenty of basketball on the agenda, both here uh, and overseas. Of course, the NBA gets underway later this morning. Uh, first game up is the Brooklyn Nets versus the Golden State Warriors. So Kevin Durant in action, uh, Steph Curry back after an injury-interrupted season. And then the uh, defending champions, the Lakers, also in action today playing the Crosstown rivals, uh, the Clippers. We're going to speak to Trevor Lane, who writes for Lakers Nation, uh, does a podcast for Lakers Nation, get his preview uh, of the NBA season. Uh, back home, someone that's played in the NBA, would love to get back to the NBA, is Southeast Melbourne Phoenix star Mitch Creek. We're going to speak to Mitch, uh, put up some pretty good numbers in a couple of practice games on the weekend, and a uh, great opportunity uh, for the Melbourne teams coming up with the NBL Cup in February. Uh, very exciting concept. Uh, and uh, with different sort of scoring system in terms of uh, getting points for winning each quarter, the games are going to be very different. So I'm going to ask uh, Mitch all about that. Uh, the Phoenix start their season against Melbourne United on the 10th of January. Exciting uh, announcement for United today too with Daryl McDonald uh, joining the coaching staff. And I uh, also just saw some news out of the States. The latest nominations are in for the Basketball Hall of Fame in America and our own Lauren Jackson uh, has been nominated. What a star she was, both for the Opals uh, and in the WNBA. So hopefully Lauren gets the nod. I'm sure if it's not this year, at some stage, she is going to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And then we're going to also finish off the show with a golf chat with Paul Gow. Not only about the year it has been in golf, very disjointed, uh, like a lot of other sports around the country, but if you go to the PGA Tour on uh, on social media, have a look at the video they've put up of uh, Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie. Uh, it's about a two-minute video, It's not, and it's all the similarities between the two. Not only the golf swing, but the celebrations, the taking the glove off, the way he watches the ball. Unbelievable similarities between uh, young Charlie and his famous father, Tiger. And that golf swing... Uh, for 11-year-old is absolutely unbelievable. So uh, we'll talk to Paul Gow about that and, and the year in golf and what we can look forward to in 2021. I guess last year, golf in Australia finished on such a high with the President's Cup here in December, a, a magnificent tournament, uh, huge crowds uh, at uh, Royal Melbourne. Unfortunately, in the summer of golf has been severely affected uh, by COVID this year. So we'll speak to Paul Gow about that. Of course, always happy to take your calls, one 736 uh, seven three six. Join us on the Temper text line zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. And on the back of Tiger Woods and his young son Charlie, love to get your nominations for. Doesn't have to be the best, but your favourite father son or father daughter or mother son or mother daughter combinations in sport. Obviously, AFL is absolutely uh, littered with uh, great examples and and one of the great combinations. I guess ended this year when Gary Ablett Jr. Uh, announced his retirement. Uh, his career, you could argue, was was better. Uh, than his famous father's uh, Gary. And we've seen even in the, in the most recent draft, we saw some more father-sons with uh, Jake Bowie, the son of former St. Brett Bowie, being picked up by the Demons. Elijah Hollands, uh, who's going to be a star in the making, uh, father of uh, son of Ben Hollands, picked up. But it's not just footy. There's examples uh, in every sport. In a horse racing, there's been some great father-son jockey combinations. There's been some great father-son training combinations. U.S. sport, there's a whole heap of examples as well. Uh, not so many in cricket, but I, I guess we've got a few with the, you know, uh, Jeff Marsh and his sons Mitch, and also Sean. So uh, would love to get your nominations uh, about uh, your favourite father son or father daughter, mother daughter, mother son uh, combinations in sport. We're starting to see them now 
uh, in AFLW, uh, Chris Grant's daughter, Nathan Burke's daughter, um, Peter Moody, the race trainer, his daughter, has played some footy for Carlton. So there's a heap of examples. It doesn't have to be the best, but just your favourites. And we've got a couple of big ones uh, coming up in the future, haven't we, potentially, with LeBron James uh, and his son, potentially. They're playing against each other or playing together uh, in a couple of years' time. And uh, from what we've seen on the weekend uh, with young Charlie Woods, uh, he looks like he could be on the PGA Tour uh, not too far down the track as well. So I'd love to get your nominations. one 736 736 Join us on the temper text. 04 33 uh, A couple of soccer matches going on uh, in the UK this morning. Uh, League Cup matches. Uh, a big upset with uh, the championship side, Brentford, who were very close uh, to being promoted to the Premier League last season. They beat Newcastle uh, 1-0. And uh, another disappointing morning for Arsenal fans. Uh, that, when I last checked, in 90 minutes, they were trailing 4-1. Uh, against Manchester City. It was one all at one stage, uh, but uh, City piling on the goals in the second half, uh, continuing uh, the misery uh, for Mikel Alteta. So more pressure uh, on the Arsenal manager. So uh, as I say, join us on the phone, one 736 736 at any time. you got any thoughts on the tennis? If you're planning to go to the tennis, do you still uh, plan on going, even though the restrictions on tickets? So normally... There's about 800,000 tickets available uh, for the tennis. It's going to be about 203,000 this year. So if you want tickets for the tennis, you're going to have to get in nice and quick. It's going to be a different experience, but still, uh, it is a great experience at Melbourne Park. And as we say, with at, at this stage, with all the big names confirming, it's still going to be a high-class tennis tournament. And, and so many players that hardly played tennis last year, including our own Ash Barty, Nick Kyrgios, will be desperate to start uh, 2021 in the right fashion. As we say, we'll speak to Todd Woodbridge uh, about that very shortly. Already on the temper text machine, 0433 Some nominations are coming through for your fa- uh, your favourite father-sons or father-daughters, mother-sons, mother-daughters. Uh, and we've got a few examples here. Uh, the first one, of course, probably one of my favourites too, being a, an Essendon fan, our own Tim Watson and Job. Of course, two great players uh, in their own rights. Uh, and uh, Joe, after a slow start, uh, certainly had a magnificent career. Uh, at the Bombers, unfortunately, couldn't win a flag like his father, who won three. But, uh, yeah, the Bombers have had a good history there with Dustin Fletcher and Ken Fletcher, Tim and Joe Watson as well. And until uh, a couple of months ago, uh, of course, Joe Danaher and Anthony Danaher as well. He's an interesting one too, uh, going back to the sort of 90s and early 2000s. Fraser Brown, the former Carlton Hard man that still gives Essendon fans nightmares after that tackle uh, on Dean Wallace in the prelim final. And his mum, Joyce, who, of course, was a, a fantastic netball coach uh, for Australia. And, of course, she put her hand up in the 1990s saying she believed a woman uh, could coach an AFL team. She believed she could do it and uh, or she believed a woman could do it in the future. They were big comments at the time. And we've heard Lisa Alexander in recent times say that uh, she wants to throw a hat in the ring as well. So Fraser Brown and Joyce Brown, and, and a real recent one here, a uh, good point made uh, by this temper texter in Dom. Now, Nick Cox, who was the Bombers' first pick uh, in the draft a couple of weeks ago, his father, uh, Daryl, uh, played uh, VFL football uh, for three clubs. So uh, another father. So not drafted under the father-son rule, but certainly a young man whose father did have some experience uh, in the AFL. So keep those coming through on the temper text machine, 0433 98 11 16. Give us a call at any time on 1300 736 736. 
Another really good example here has just come through. Uh, good morning, Julian. Father, son, the Hayes dynasty. And I must admit, when I was thinking racing, uh, the Hayes family was the first one. But this one extends quite a long way, doesn't it? Of course, started with the, the father, uh, Colin Hayes, who was a fantastic trainer. David Hayes took over. And now his boy, Ben and David, uh, in the training game. And, of course, uh, the young man, Will, played some footy with the Western Bulldogs, uh, has been re-rookied uh, or is expected to be re-rookied by the Western Bulldogs. So uh, that is a, a great nomination there. And, of course, from a basketball point of view, there is one that stands out above the rest, Andrew and Lindsay Gazer, a great friend of the station, uh, Andrew Gaze. And, uh, yeah, Andrew and Lindsay are just the most famous family, definitely, uh, in Australian basketball. Not sure about this next one, Demir and Yelena Dokic. Both famous in their own right, but uh, Yelena's done some uh, wonderful things uh, with not a lot of help from her father, it must be said. But uh, keep them coming through, one 736 736 if you want to join us. We'll take an early break, and not too far away is Robert Craddock. Welcome back to Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Robert Craddock, uh, not too far away to talk about what should happen with this third test between Australia and India. Should it be played in Sydney, even if there isn't any crowds, or should it be moved to Melbourne? And we have back-to-back tests at the MCG. Plenty of nominations coming through on the temper text machine. 0433-981116 for your favourite father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter combinations in sport. We'll read some of those shortly, but we've got a couple of calls. Give us a call anytime. one 736 736 A couple of nominations for their favourite father-sons. Let's start with John in Mount Evelyn. Morning, John. G'day, Jules. How you going, mate? Well, John, yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Um... Yeah, Damon Hill and his father, Graham Hill, both won Formula One World Championships. That's pretty special. That's very good, yep. It's, and motorsports, particularly in Australia, we've had some great father-sons, haven't we, in uh, in V8 supercars with Jim Richards and Stephen Richards and uh, there's a couple of others that just escaped me at the moment, but there's been uh, quite a few uh, in that sport uh, that, have, that have followed in their uh, father's footsteps. Got any other nominations there, John? Yeah, well, there's plenty, um, plenty from Formula One with Jack and Jules Villeneuve, and even um, Moto Moto GP with Wayne Gardner and his son Remy doing pretty well in the Moto Two, I think it is, or Moto Three. That's right. Absolutely, yeah. Larry and Jack Perkins, uh, James Moffat and Alan Moffat as well. They've all followed in their father's footsteps uh, in V8 supercars. So certainly a history of it in motorsport. And we know Michael Schumacher. Son uh, is going beautifully as well. Uh, so if he can repeat even half the deeds of his famous father, uh, that would be very exciting for all Formula One fans. Uh, let's go to John in Croydon. G'day, John. Hello. How are you? Welcome. Hello. Yeah, you're on air, John. You got me, John? I'll try one more time. John, you got me? We'll try, John. Hello. Oh, John, you're on air. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't get you. That's right. Good, thank you, mate. Well, you got a nomination for us? Uh, yeah, I've got three, three, all right. Yeah, you can do 20 if you want. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have the time. Um, yeah, uh, Bull Richardson from Richmond and uh, Richo, yep. Matthew Richardson. Uh, the Zantucks, Shane and I forget. Ty? Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. And, uh, well, the Corns. Um, of course. How could we forget our very own Kane Corns? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Three fantastic footballers uh, in South Australia and two had a big impact uh, in the AFL as well. Thanks for your call. Uh, John, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Robert Craddock has written a really interesting article about uh, what should happen 
uh, with the Sydney Test, and uh, he's been good enough to join us, one of our favourites uh, on the station. Morning, Crash. Hi, Jules. How are you? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, building up nicely for, for, for Boxing Day. A few little hitches, but we've got used to that. But there'll be a game. It'll be great. Absolutely. Uh, before we get stuck into the cricket, we're talking about favourite father-son or father-daughter, mother-daughter, mother-son combinations in sport. Have you, have you got a favourite? Um, well, just off the top of my head, I... Uh, whew, let me just think. Uh, in In... I tell you what I did enjoy. I did enjoy grandfather, grandson between Victor Richardson, the former Australian captain, and Ian Greg Chapel. Yeah, very nice. Victor played in the forties, and he was an old-fashioned knockabout bloke. When he was in South Africa, the team had a bad test, and they they uh, he said, "Right, no one's to dr- touch a drop of alcohol for the next week." That's what he said, and it was after a hot day, and they brought this tub of ice-cold beers in behind him in the dressing room as he was speaking. And he looked around and he said, oh, we'll have to start that from tomorrow, I think. <laughs> but then he was a real... Ian, Ian and Greg loved their grandfather for being, you know, ABC commentator, you know, and, and a really respected guy. He played with Bradman. And to the point where Ian, I saw him once tap Australian opening batsman Bill Brown on the shoulder once at a function. He said, could you, could you come with me for a minute? And he took him around the corner. He said, can I ask you about Vic? Tell me what he was like. You know, I just want it from a teammate's perspective. So there was a sweetness to it and a softness to Ian and Greg when they talked about their grandfather. And they're two very tough men, of course. Absolutely. And just uh, one more on the father-sons. Just got a text here from Chris in Batemans Bay saying, can you please ask Crash about what he knows about Tom Liner, son of Michael? Well, Tom Liner, Michael, Tom Liner is... Uh, signed by the Queensland Reds as a young rugby union player who's a terrifically skilled player. It's a really poetic signing by them because Michael, of course, was one of Australia's great rugby fly halves. He mar- his wife, uh, I think her name's Isabella. I'll, I'll probably get that wrong, but she's Italian. So there's a beautiful cross-culture uh, sort of um, connection here with Michael who's lived in, who lived in London for a lot of years. Uh, and so... Michael was just almost a god of Queensland rugby in the 1980s. Very cool guy, detached, very private. And the signing of his son is a, has engaged a fan base who is becoming disinterested. It's a really good story, yeah. Absolutely, yep. Isabella, that is his uh, mum's name. So you got that one right, Crash. Just onto the cricket now, just reading your article. So basically, from what you're saying is the Sydney Test is no guarantee to go ahead, and it shouldn't go ahead if there's no fans allowed. And just just give us your reasoning behind that. Oh, it's just that simple. It, it, fans make a test match, and you're putting it on for the fans. And to me, it would be as pointless as saying, uh, taking the fandom of the opera to Sydney, but saying there's going to be no fans there. You know, like So because you can fit fans in at other venues, I much like this idea of having two tests in Melbourne say capped at 25,000 each day. But Melbourne, I think, with its Indian population, could actually fill 10 days of cricket, two tests. And I believe that is the favourite option at the moment. That's the way. And, and isn't this extraordinary? We're talking about the possibility of Melbourne having two tests. I remember coming on yeah. STN about three months ago when someone said to me, what chance is Melbourne of having a test? And I replied, one out of 10. So... Things change, Jules, but in 2015, there was a World Cup game in Melbourne between South Africa and India, 
which attracted 88,000 people. I remember watching that game closely and thinking, man, there is an Indian fan base here, which is extraordinary. So rather than try and shoehorn a test into Sydney, and may I say, the border closures are the issue, not so much the, the, the spiralling COVID infection rate, the border closures, getting people in and out, nightmare. So uh, that's what I... If you said out of 10, what chance is a Sydney test? It's below five. Our decision could be made today. And the favoured way, no doubt about it, they won't be swapping Brisbane and Sydney. The favoured way is two tests in Melbourne. Yeah, I think you're, I think um, certainly in terms of the crowds, they get great numbers. I like your your idea in the piece too about slash the, the ticket prices, uh, potentially yeah, uh, well, for the I second of the test in Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. You know, like make it half price. You know, make it give something back to the fans in this COVID-challenged era by saying, you know, make it fan affordable. People are out there, they're doing it tough. A lot of people have lost their jobs. That's cricket. That would be cricket's Christmas gift to the fans slashed MCG uh, cricket prices. I'm so glad you raised it because it gives me another chance to push it. And I think it would be, it just makes a lot of sense. So you feel it? Just listening to you, you feel like this is is the favoured way. And you, you think this is a really good chance of happening by the sound of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, you know, I've, we've been following the story very, very closely. And, and it's not a done deal, Jules. And that's one thing. In the COVID era, <laughs> I've stopped short of two things. Making really firm predictions. That's at one end of the scale. And at the other end of the scale, saying something is ridiculous. I don't rule anything out. You know, if you said that... Uh, you know, we could be playing it in the shadow of Uluru. <laughs> I'd say, well, mate, I don't rule it out. But I do believe that's the favoured way. That is the way they are thinking. Because one thing I do know, the swapping of the Brisbane and Sydney tests has been deemed all but untenable. Yeah. So if Sydney moves, it's two tests in Melbourne. The broadcasters love it, Jules, because they can just say, plonk, we're here. We don't have to move anyone in or out of Sydney. No one has to quarantine anywhere. And is it ideal? No, it's not. I've never really... I mean, the uh, the MCG pitch is a pretty average strip of 22 yards between you and me and the the listeners, Jules. That'll get them far. But it was better last year, and we all accept nothing's perfect, perfect in the COVID world. Sometimes you've just got to play the thing. Get the thing done. This, it's so important that this gets done. For It brings millions and millions of dollars into Australian cricket. This four-test series has to be played. I was going to ask you about the wicket and what would happen there at the MCG. You summed it up really well. It's been a pretty poor wicket. Last year was certainly an improvement. Uh, if they had to have back-to-back tests there, how would that work? Yeah, well, Matt Page, I sense he is already working on it. And, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a fine groundsman, formerly of Perth, of course. And, uh, you, you know, he was getting, was working on several of the blocks anyway. He's got a little bit of time. He's got a few weeks. But, of course, it's very difficult to work on the deck when there's a test in progress. I, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. It, it's, there was tests here recently in Melbourne um, against India and, and England, which were too slow moving. And then last year, he against New Zealand, he got the balance just right. It was a good test and, and a good deck. But you know what? If there's a bit extra left in the deck, I'm not going to burst into tears because I quite enjoyed the Adelaide test. Batsmen get so much their way these days. The rules of the game, 
all those flat 2020 pitches, big heavy bats, short boundaries. So if a wicket's a little bit underprepared, oh, I'm a dodgy deck man from way back, Jules. <laughs> I actually like when there's, when there's a bit left in the deck. So if the second deck isn't perfect and it's seeming around a bit and causing a bit of havoc, well, you know what? All good for cricket. I'll tell you what, our drive co-host, Bob Murphy, would love listening to this. He's all for the green top and uh, giving the bowlers uh, a bit of assistance. Really good point, too, here, Crash, on our temper text machine. Uh, another element to this Sydney test uh, saying, you need a t- crowd at Sydney test for Jane McGrath Breast Cancer Day, the pink test. And that is such an important yeah. part of that test match. Well, it, it is, and I believe that Cricket Australia would take that day to the third test anyway. Uh, Glenn McGraw will not be in attendance. He's in commentating in India, I believe, on the series. But he will come in sort of via satellite. But they're very keen to keep up the tradition of the McGraw Day. And in a funny sort of way, I think it would have a special charm in another centre anyway. It it would prove cricket's commitment to the day is is deep and everlasting. So, uh, But I I know there's been discussions on that front. Someone raised that. They said, what do we do with the pink day? And they said, look, let's have it anyway. Yeah, and the support in Melbourne would be amazing, just like it is in Sydney and anywhere around the country. Just a couple of cricket ones uh, before we let you go, Crash. Uh, Ian Chappell made, an, I guess, an interesting suggestion about uh, short-pitch bowling to tail-enders, and at times maybe the umpires uh, need to st- uh, step in. Uh, Steve Smith, well, he whacked that out of the park yesterday, that suggestion, and clearly he's getting a bit sick of some of the the suggestions or the, the comments that Ian Chappell is making. Did, did Ian Chappell have a point there, do you think? Uh, I thought he had a point. Personally, I don't agree with it because I think it's just uh, more trouble than what it's worth. Now that batsmen are fully, now that players are fully professional and they've got helmets and everything like that and any amount of equipment they can put on, I think it's their job to learn how to either defend or get out of the line of the ball. You know, it's just... That was brutal, what we saw the other day at the Adelaide, at the Adelaide uh, uh, Cricket Ground, Adelaide Oval, when they, you know, there's no doubt the Australians roughed up the Indian tail and then bowled full and straight and would get them sort of LBW or bowled or snicking. Um, but I think you've got to be prepared for it these days. I mean, you know, guys are fully... It's not as if we're dragging, like the old days, dragging guys out of solicitors' offices to play for Australia or some guys are teachers and part-timers. These guys are full-timers, and, and I think it's so hard for an umpire to decide. Once you step in and say, oh, that's intimidatory bowling. And, and here's the thing. It wasn't as if it was bouncer after no. bouncer after bouncer. That's the trouble, Jules. It was used selectively and almost hit them as a shock weapon. That's why you can't ban it. That, that, that's, that's the issue for me. And just finally, what are you expecting from India in this test match? I mean, that was humiliating what happened. They're going to have to make... Some big changes to their lineup. They lost you know, one of their key bowlers in Shami, the captain, Virat Kohli goes home. What sort of response do you expect for, from India, or are you, are you fearing that the damage done for that first test could could linger into this second test? Yeah, all the way through the series, I've if they don't rise again swiftly, for me they're gone for the series. You, you'll see little starbursts like uh, Pajara, the, the, you know, the batting barnacle, he'll have an innings in this series where he scores 130 in five hours. So I just know it's going to happen. Whether it'll mean anything, I'm not so sure because the loss of Shammy is huge. He's a, he's a beautifully consistent, strong, fit bowler. 
and also Coley. I'm fascinated to see what a Jinka Rahani that you captain will bring. My Indian journo mates swear that he's a better captain than Coley because he's more game aware, more sensitive, more of a people person. But uh, I think the die is cast. I, I will be really surprised if India fight their way back. This is an unusual Australian team to to rate, uh, Jules, because there's times when you watch them, you swear, you wonder how they ever lose a test to anyone. There's other times when you watch them and you feel they're quite ropey. That's when they're batting. You know, when they lose wickets and they're batting, you think, oh, this is a... You know, it's just a team, this one. Then they take the ball, and suddenly Clark Kent becomes Superman, don't they? I mean, that bowling at the Adelaide Oval the other day was as good a test bowling as I reckon I've ever seen. Like, every ball was preceded down the wicket by waves of hostility and intent. It was on the money. If it wasn't clipping off stuff, it was clipping an edge. It was just beautiful, really. How many changes do you think India will make? Oh, they're talking about at least four. Well, sorry, up to four changes. But I don't, I'm not sure whether it'll be that many. There's at least two. And I just can't see how Prithvi Shaw opens again. When he's got that gap as wide as Sydney heads between bat and pad, everyone knows it's there. It's an ingrained technical fault that he can't do much about because he plays on instinct. So, so at least three changes. Uh, I can't have Prithvi Shaw opening the batting because they just think you could see Australia was just targeting that gap between bat and pad. Then, of course, Coley's out. Then, of course, Shammy's out. So, yeah. So, so, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's others as well. Yeah, it's a huge test for India. Their character, see how they bounce back uh, at the MCG, and it might be back-to-back tests at the MCG. We'll watch it very closely. Crash, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, have a great Christmas, and we'll chat very soon. And I also want to urge people, uh, in the Herald Sun today, we broke a little story. The Jones family is urging people to salute the memory of Dean Jones by putting sunscreen on, as Dino famously did on his bottom lip all the time. So if you're going to the ground on the weekend, do it for Dino. Put a dollop on, put, put a bit of zinc on the bottom lip, even if you're at home playing in the backyard. It's your way to salute the champion. His family came up with this idea. It's a beautiful little sweet touch. They're going to try and keep it uh, light. And, of course, at 3.24 in the afternoon on Boxing Day, there'll be that's his test cap number. There'll be a special tribute to the great man, which I'm sure we'll all enjoy. Thanks Beautiful. a lot, Jules. Beautiful. Thank you to Robert Craddock. And uh, given his popularity in Victoria, there'll be plenty of support uh, for that tribute to Dean Jones. So off the back of that, uh, listeners, would love to know, and I think I know the answer to this question, being Victorians that have been starved uh, for sport this year. Would you like back-to-back tests against India at the MCG? Uh, and would you go? How many days would you go if there was that opportunity uh, to go to back-to-back tests? Not just the Boxing Day, but if the Sydney test is moved to Melbourne, uh, would you go to both? Would you just go to a, one day at each test? I'd love to get your feedback uh, on the other side of this break. Not too far away, of course, Todd Woodbridge, Channel 9 tennis commentator, talking about the Australian Open. You're listening to SEN Mornings. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Todd Woodridge, not too far away to chat the Australian Open. Tennis tickets go on sale today. Plenty of nominations coming through on the temper text. Keep them coming through. 0433981116 for your favourite father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter combinations uh, in sport. Uh, we'll read it through a few now. Jason says, Jay Neagle and Merv Neagle, the late uh, Merv Neagle. Of course, Jay played a few games for the Bombers uh, late last decade. Now, this is a dynasty, the O'Toole family in wood chopping, says Brenton from Geelong. This is a bit different, not quite sport, 
Goldie Horn and Kate Hudson. That is a very good combination uh, in Hollywood. James and Tom Hurd uh, with fingers crossed from this temper texter. NBA comes back today. We mentioned Steph Curry. His dad, Dell, was a, was a great player in the NBA. And brother, Seth, uh, they would all fit well into this list. Says Tanks of Footscray, Kostya and Tim Zoo. Certainly the way Tim Zoo is going, that is one of the great combinations forming. Uh, a Carlton fan, I'd imagine here, Serge Silvani and Steve Silvani. And, of course, we've got Jack Silvani uh, still on the Carlton list. This is one of the great footy families. Uh, Mike sends this one in. John Kennedy Sr., John Kennedy Jr., and, of course, uh, the son of John and the junior and the grandson of John Sr. Josh Kennedy, uh, the Sydney star. That's been a great combination. And this one here from Jeremy in Torquay. Gaz Sr. and Junior are the best father-son combo for sport. It's like Reg- Roger Federer having a son that's the best player in the game in their era. It simply doesn't happen. And this is a little bit different. We're talking about father-son combinations uh, in racing. And you've got uh, some jockeys. If you think of Greg Hall and... And Nick Hall, and we've mentioned the Hayes family before. You've got the Cummings family as well with uh, Bart and Anthony. And, of course, the grandson there in James. But what about some horses? Octagonal and Lonro mentioned uh, Ian. So that's uh, a great comment, a great suggestion uh, there. Got some feedback, too, about uh, the pink ball test. and uh, Well, not pink ball test. One asking if the second Melbourne test could be a pink ball test. That won't happen. But uh, one here from Craig. I would love a second test here in Melbourne, and let's make it a pink ball day-night test. Then we could see if that wicket is any good. So, yeah, that certainly uh, won't happen. It won't be a pink ball test if we get two uh, in a row. I think Todd Woodbridge uh, has joined us uh, on the line. Uh, Channel 9 tennis commentator. Tickets uh, for the Australian Open go on sale today. It's going to be a very different Australian Open from the players' point of view and also the fans. And joining us on the line to chat about the build-up to the first Grand Slam of the year is Todd Woodbridge. Morning, Todd. Good morning, Julian. Sorry, my tad later. I, I've got quite excited about you know the news that we're up and going, so I thought I'd go to the gym and try to get fit for being <laughs> on camera. <laughs> so, uh, what are we working yeah, on at the gym? Is look... sort of upper body stuff, or what are we working on when you go to the gym these yeah, days? Just, just to trim down a bit these days. <laughs> uh, but as I'm heading towards fifty, um, it's about keeping a little bit of strength because occasionally when I go out and play tennis, um, if I don't do that and I try and serve, well, my serve was never a strength, and it's got getting far weaker. <laughs> yeah, and COVID's been pretty tough for staying fit at times, but uh, it's good it, to get back. It has. It's good to get back into the gym. Uh, tickets go on sale as we mentioned today, Todd, for the yep. Australian Open. It's going to be. It is such a great event for going and watching tennis, but just a great event socially and and, and for some music and and just catching up with people. But it's going to be a very different fan experience this year, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. Um, it'll still be a great fan experience, and one of the key things that everybody's keen to do with the Open, Tennis Australia and and the big government is to help everybody get back going. And by everybody, I mean um, your vendors with food, um, everybody within the city trying to get more people back into there to support restaurants and those types of things. So those those offerings are still going to be there for the public to go see. But we've got three different zones. So when when you're going and if you're looking at going with some friends, make sure you buy in that same zone. The zones being Rod Laver Arena, Margaret Court Arena or John Kane, that was formerly um, Melbourne Arena. Because when you get into those ticketing, you'll be in a section there where you'll get your main court, but you'll also get the opportunity to uh, have a portion of, of, let's say, half of Grand Slam over where you'll be able to meet your friends, watch a few different courts and those types of things. So it won't be the broad spectrum that everybody's used to, but it will still be something that we haven't had this year. 
Absolutely, and particularly in Melbourne where we've just been starved of uh, live sport. Yeah. And I guess the good news is too, Todd, I know we're still about six weeks away from the start of the Open, but so far so good in terms of all the big names so far saying they're coming, and that includes Roger Federer by the sound of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your entry uh, acceptance list came out yesterday, and we have no withdrawals at this point, so that's fantastic. Federer's in Dubai currently. Um, having come off two knee scopes that were early in the year. So he's been rehabbing the whole year. And I guess the extra three weeks that we've got to wait for the Open is actually not a bad thing for him because that gives him time to really try and, and prep himself. So I won't expect you to go if he isn't 100% in his own mind, but you've got to remember for him, uh, time's running out. He wants to sort of get ahead in that Grand Slam count. Nadal caught him at 20. And you've got to think at 39 next year, that we're not going to see too much of him in, at the Australian Open and, and he won't want to let opportunities slip. So he's looking good. I mean, I've been watching Rafa Nadal on social media just training up an absolute storm. Um, and, and Novak Djokovic, well, you know what he's like. He won his eighth tournament here last time. So that, that on the men's side, I'm very keen, though, to see how Ash Barty comes out of a year without matches. I know she's fit. She looks terrific, been training hard, but she, she's got to get match play having not been away since the Australian Open in January of this year. So there's a lot of questions out there for a lot of people, but, you know, that's the great thing about a a Grand Slam tournament. The beginning of it, we we have no script and it all unfolds and and that's always the exciting part of it. Yeah, particularly at Melbourne Park with the Australian Open, it it is very difficult to predict because it's the first tournament of the year or the the first Grand Slam of the year and particularly this year. I was going to ask you about that. You mentioned, you know, such a disjointed year for tennis where a lot of players played a lot of tennis and some players basically played hardly any and, Two that we're very interested in, of course, here in Australia are Nick Kyrgios and Ash Barty. So what do you expect from them come the Australian Open, given, uh, as you say, they haven't had much match play at all and uh, have hardly played any tennis in 2020? Yeah, well, well, Nick's the sort of player that can come out and just play well, as long as he's got some practice under his belt. I I know in Ash's case, prep will be really good. Um, But when she was here last year, made the semis, she'd come off such a brilliant season and a brilliant lead-in as well. She won the lead-in tournament. So we'll get a bit of an indication in that first week um, before the Australian Open. And if I can just go to the the lead-up week. So the Open itself starts on the 8th. The 31st, the players will be getting out of quarantine and they'll play lead-in tournaments. At Melbourne Park in that week, we've got five tournaments. It's quite incredible. We've got an ATP Cup, which has... um, It's reduced from 24 teams to 12 this year. But to give everybody a match or two, at least, before the the Open starts after a long break, there will be two WTA 500 series tournaments that's played at the same time. So two of those and two ATP 250s. So it's five tournaments at Melbourne Park, all played simultaneously. So it's going to be a a massive lead up. Um, That's why I'm getting fit, because there's going to be a lot of talking to do over all of that. But... You know, when you look at that um, and you go back to the Aussies, the Aussies have a really good chance of of getting a leg up, if you like, in that they won't have to do that quarantine period of 14 days where they get minimal practice and training. They'll they'll have their prep ready. They can be down in Melbourne ready to go, training normally, getting extra, you know, match play in terms of set practice. And you've got to hope that they use that to their advantage. Yeah, that's a good point. That that could be an advantage uh, for the Australians. Just going back, to Roger Federer, as you said, that uh, he'd be reluctant to come if he doesn't feel almost 100% fit. So if he does come, as you say, it's, it could be a chance that it's his last Australian Open. What's a realistic expectation for Roger, given he hasn't played for basically 12 months? 
really, in my, my mind, it depends totally on the draw. Because um, there's, there's been a bit of change. Was, the younger group were coming through really strongly um, post-September. So that, that's Medvedev, Team, Rublev, Tsitsipas. They've all sort of seemed to have got over the fact that these, these greats have this massive aura and they're starting to beat them. So for Roger, he needs to get a draw that it gives, I guess, some of, of, of the old charge to him. Guys that he's got, you know, that, that psychological edge over, he knows he's going to get through. But if he gets back-to-back against a few of these younger guys and, and a tougher draw, and let's say he, he's in the same half, um, well, which he will be if either Nadal, Djokovic, and then get through to a final... That, that's going to be hard physically for him. So, you know, look, he did it a few years ago when we least expected. He came back from a bit of a back operation, hadn't played for months and ended up winning the tournament. But those three to four years uh, of miles in the legs might be a different story for him come uh, the AO 2021. You mentioned that young group coming through and we've been talking about this next generation for quite some time. They seem to be closing the gap every year, but uh, most of the time... that one of the big three continues to win uh, yeah. major tournaments. What do you expect? I oh, know it's hard to forecast 2021. It's hard to forecast uh, anything at the moment, but do you ex- still expect, you know, Djokovic and Nadal to, to take some Grand Slam titles, maybe Federer, or do you think that I, changing I, I, in the guard I, is coming? Yeah, no, I do expect they're going to take them, but not as easily and, and not like all four, if you like. So it's a little bit of scar tissue for, for Novak, that episode that happened uh, at the US Open. Unfortunate for him, he got defaulted because he was, in my mind, going to win that tournament. He was the best player there by a long shot. But that let team come through. And all of a sudden, team's got a different strut to him. And he played a brilliant final this year at the Australian Open. Don't forget that, where he, he almost had Djokovic in that final. So he's certainly a contender that believes now. Then you've got Zverev, who has also started to get to the back end of the slams. Took him a long time, but he's certainly better at it. Sitsipas for me is, is is one that I think will win one, but it may take him a little bit longer. And then Rublev, a lot of the listeners won't have known him, but he he's a huge hitter. He's a bit like the Bryson DeChambeau of the golf world. There's, <laughs> there's no not a lot of touch and feel, but there's an awful lot of self-belief and power in his game. And he won five tournaments in a very reduced season this year. So he's come through with a with another element of belief to him. So it's it's not going to be as easy for those guys to keep getting through as it once was. And, you know, Nadal's age is getting up there as well. So he has to just maintain physical fitness and, and motivation to be able to stay there. So um, opportunities should arise. And I, I think this year we'll, we will start to see a little bit of a different result as we move through the four majors. Well, Todd, it's certainly going to be a different Australian Open next year, but uh, it's a great event, and I'm sure tickets will get snapped up uh, very quickly, given it's about 25% uh, capacity. So get on board. Yeah, I was going to say, Julian, if you haven't got your Christmas present and you don't know what to do, quickly get online today and uh, and buy one for somebody because um, it'll be a unique experience. You, you'll feel like the Open is all yours with the, the reduced numbers that are there. But as we move forward, we're also hoping that, um, you know, the government restrictions might ease slightly and then more tickets will, will go on sale as we get uh, a little closer to the tournament itself in January. Fingers crossed. Uh, Todd, thank you so much for your time. Uh, have a great Christmas and we look forward to speaking to you again in the build-up to the Australian Open. Pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Great to have Todd, Bridge, Todd Woodbridge on the line, Channel 9 commentator. Plenty more coming up on SEN Mornings. Welcome back to Mornings. Julian DeStook with you. Great to have your company this morning. After the 10 o'clock news, we'll speak to South East Melbourne Phoenix star 
uh, Mitch Creek. Uh, but before then, just read out a few more of these temper texts about favourite father-sons or father-daughters, mother-daughters, mother-sons. Weird one. Christian Petrarca and Tony Petrarca, best landscaper in the business on the east side. That's from Roy from Templestowe. That's taking you in a different direction. How about most recently, Wayne Rooney and his 11-year-old son, Kai, who's just signed for Manchester United. Amazing talent at such young age. Tommy Smith and Gay Waterhouse, if talking horse racing. Gay was a young actress on Doctor Who in her youth as well. A bit of trivia, said Bryson. I don't remember saying this, but if I did, I apologise. If I said wood chopping wasn't a sport, a couple of people have pointed that out. It's actually called timber sports, as Mark uh, points out. I certainly wouldn't be saying that to the face of the O'Toole family. A great dynasty in Australian sport. Uh, but coming up after the break on SEN Mornings, uh, NBL superstar Mitch Creek. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. Uh, exciting time for the NBL and certainly for NBL fans in Melbourne with an announcement earlier this week of the NBL Cup where all nine teams will be based in Melbourne. They'll play for a cup and the points will also count uh, towards the regular season. One man that will be excited about that and excited to put on a show in front of his home fans is Phoenix superstar in Mitch Creek who's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Mitch. Mate, how you going? Very well. Now, before we get on to the basketball, uh, our... Producer Alicia said, make sure before you speak to Mitch, check out his Instagram. So I did. And the first video is you jumping out of a plane. Um, is this a yeah. hobby? Is this a hobby of yours, is it? Yes, it is. The plane was fully functional. There was no issue. The wings didn't fall off. It wasn't on fire. Um, I actually am a solo skydiver. I've done it for about two years now. Um, just working my way through my licensing and stuff like that. The goal is to obviously get into uh, base jumping, wingsuiting, um, a lot of different kind of aero activities. So this is just a little step along the way. But, yeah, skydiving is a part of my um, regular hobby. So how many sort of uh, tandem jumps do you have to do before you can go out and do it solo like you've done in that video? Look, it, it kind of starts just like everything. you got to start really slow. You go through um, uh, a two-day pretty much written course where, you go through all the emergency procedures. You learn how to understand turbulence, how to, you know, how wind patterning and flight direction, everything works. You kind of go through the whole kit and caboodle. Um, then they start to introduce um, the rigs to you. So uh, what the parachutes do, um, if anything goes wrong, all the complications that go with it. But then after that, they kind of put it on you. They make sure you know what you're doing. And then they kind of give you a thumbs up. You pass your test and, that afternoon, you kind of jump out of a plane. You'll have two guys holding on to you. you. You pass that jump. You then go to the next thing where one person holds on, another person spots you, and then you keep on progressing until it's just you and an instructor. And then once you're all good to go, um, they tick you off. You sign up and get your license and everything done, and they're happy with it, and you jump out on your own, and you can start flying with other people by yourself and, and having a good time. And you're allowed to jump during the season, or is this a purely off-season pursuit? Uh, look, I, I kind of go whenever I feel like I need to. For me, it's a very, it does seem, I guess, very extreme and very crazy. But honestly, it's, it's actually a very peaceful thing. If you have watched the video on my Instagram at all, um, you'll kind of see, like, I jump out, I tuck into a ball, and I do a couple of slips until I get a bit dizzy. Uh, I kind of spot my, my friend who I'm jumping with, Matt Hancock, uh, who's an absolute legend that's been jumping for ages as well. And uh, we fly in together, we link up, we're laughing and, and kind of just chilling out together and doing a few tricks. And it's actually a very peaceful thing. So, um, yeah, in season, out of season, it's just, for me, it's a mental escape and, and something I can do on my own and just go and relax. 
Yeah, the video is uh, sensational. I don't actually see the parachute open, which is a bit of a worry, but uh, you're here talking to us, so that is uh, that is good news. Uh, we're almost at the end of the year. You're back on the court, played a couple of practice games uh, on the weekend. Obviously, like a lot of people, uh, COVID uh, you know, stuffed up your plans a lot this year as well. How do you, how do you reflect back on, on the year 2020? Yeah, well, look, mate, it's, uh, for me, it's actually been a really hard one. I, I kind of you know, put a feather in my cap of being pretty mentally tough and pretty resilient. But um, at the end of last season, obviously, hyperextended my knee with someone landed on it. Um, I recovered probably two and a half months later. They then kind of missed um, an issue in my knee, which I then had to have surgery on. So then I was out for another few months, which kind of, we were going through the phase of being stuck inside. We had a potential COVID case coming to the facility. Um, you know, the, the pushback of the season, you know, the certain things that, the, the, that none of us kind of knew was going to happen. Uh, my family got stuck into state. My sister had to come down. It's been a very tough year, I guess. But the fact is we're back now, mate. Um, you know, we've got a great season ahead. Uh, we've got a great team uh, around us. Uh, the league's done a fantastic job of putting it together and actually getting us back out on court in a time where a lot of other leagues actually didn't really get a chance or or have the ability to do something and run it very successfully. But I think we're going to do just that. So uh, very exciting, but, um, you know, steel's made in fire, mate. So uh, we've been through the hardest part uh, as a state and as a country. And I think if we just do the right thing now, uh, we'll be able to come out the other side good as gold. Yeah, let's hope so. I was going to say, you, you pointed out there, you know, credit to the NBL for, for getting the season up and away. And we mentioned uh, in the intro about the, the NBL Cup, which is coming up in February, which uh, I guess you have to do things a little bit differently uh, during these times. And uh, on paper, this looks like a, a, a really exciting competition. The fact that it also counts uh, towards the regular season, it, it's a sort of separate cup competition and uh, sort of, uh, you know, three points for a win, one point for the, the team that wins each quarter. It's a, it's it's sort of a bit of left of centre, but it's a pretty exciting concept. Yeah, it is. Look, we've done this in the preseason a little bit already. Uh, we kind of know how it runs and how it's going to look. Uh, obviously, it is a little bit different considering that, um, you know, you're kind of winning quarters as well as trying to win games, where sometimes if you're up by 20 or 30, you might put your stars on the bench or put those heavy minute guys to rest. Uh, now you've got to really understand that every single possession matters and if you take possessions off it's now going to affect you and you could actually you know lose being into a finals or finishing first because you don't win a single quarter so we have to be very diligent with that but it, it is a, a cool little twist to, to basketball in Australia obviously the NBL Cups are the first time it's happening so uh, a lot of games in a short period of time for, for people in the state of Victoria so uh, I mean, if that was me as a fan, I'd want nothing more than to go down and, and see these teams kind of battle out, not just for, for season position, but also in a cup that, you know, rewards clubs with, um, you know, prize money and, and players' hard work. As we mentioned, a couple of pre-season games on the weekend up there on the Gold Coast uh, against the Bullets. Uh, personally, you must have been pretty happy with uh, with your form. Those numbers were pretty impressive. Uh, I'm not too worried about the numbers, mate. I'm just uh, worried about the boys and, and, you know, everyone getting through healthy. We've had a few injuries up until that point, um, you know, myself included. Uh, we've still got a couple of guys to, to kind of come in and get acclimated. Uh, we've got Kiefer and Ben, our two Americans who are in. We've been training with them the last couple of days. So it's been phenomenal to have them in. But right now, mate, it's the big focus is, you know, can we get everyone on the same page? Can we get everyone understanding each other's flow? how each other like to play and where we like to get things. So we did a great job. I thought, you know, from the week before, we had our kind of first real scrimmage. 
Um, you know, we didn't look too flash up, uh, but, you know, the first game against Brizzy, we come in, you know, we looked really nice. Um, you know, we didn't obviously win that game, but we did improve quite a lot. And then the second game, you know, only two days later, we turn around and we have a really good performance. I felt like we had a really good chance to win that game at the end. Um, we had our, one of our best, or if not the best, three-point shooter in the league get a wide-open kick out uh, from me to win the game. And we missed that, but that's how basketball goes. You make some and you, you don't sometimes. So, you know, I'm really happy with how the boys have handled this whole situation. Obviously, Victoria's had it the hardest up until now, and other teams have been playing in, you know, regular seasons and doing whatever they want. So the fact we're out here, we're kind of, I guess, running up a bit of ring rust. Um, you know, that'll come off in the next couple of weeks and we'll be good to go come season time. We're speaking with Phoenix star Mitch Creek on SEN Mornings. Uh, Mitch, tell us about uh, Yanni Wetzel. I was reading uh, Olga Nulic uh, was, was glowing in his praise uh, watching his performance on the weekend. Just uh, give us an insight into, into the ability this young man's got. Yeah, big Yanni's an absolute legend. Um, you know, he's a Kiwi, so I don't hold it against him too much, but he's an absolute <laughs> ripper of a lad. He uh, he works his absolute tail off. He's a big fella. He's about 6'10". He'll probably say he's 7 foot, but don't listen to what he's saying. Um, you know, he, he works really hard. He's a great young man. He can shoot the ball. He can play off the pick and pop, the rolls. Um, you know, he's a good screener. He just does all the little things. Uh, but the greatest, you know, his greatest asset is the ability to run the floor and to put pressure on the ring, his deep seals. And, you know, he's such a he's such a guy that's going to be such a fan favourite just because of his energy and the kind of aura he has, his personality. So, um, you know, I've only known him a couple of weeks, but, you know, two or three days into him being here, we hung out at the beach all day. And I think it was the first nice day we had in summer. We spent the whole day at the beach just absolutely talking garbage. So uh, we hit it off straight away and I got a lot of time for the man. So he's going to have a great season here and not just in our team, but in the NBL and, and hopefully he doesn't stay here long. I hope he gets that chance to go over and play in America because he deserves it. Yeah, not exactly beach weather in Melbourne today. I don't think he'll be heading down to the beach uh, after training. You mentioned uh, the NBA. No, you mentioned the NBA there. It gets underway again today. How, how closely do you keep an eye on that? And I, I read earlier in the year, you, you know, you, there was a chance you were going to go back over to the States and then obviously the injury and then uh, COVID hit. Is that is that dream still flickering for you? Yeah, it always does, mate. That's that's one of the biggest reasons I, I get up in the morning. Um, you know, the Olympics is number one and um, to try and work for that, but also the NBA, knowing that it's back. Uh, obviously, a short turnaround for a lot of the guys in the NBA. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. I do think there's going to be a higher chance of injuries throughout teams, probably the middle point of the season. Um, we've obviously always been talks with them. My agent at Mogul Sports, um, Joe Watson and Marquise, are absolute legends. Um, you know, they're always kind of staying in touch, seeing what's going on. Is there any opportunities? But as you said, we had a chance last year. We had a contract there. And then obviously the knee was one thing. I got healthy in time, but then obviously COVID, uh, the shrinkage of, of the NBA into the bubble, um, you know, the team I was going to wasn't going to be a part of that. So look, you know, you put that on ice right now, you get back to the lab, you start working. I've got myself in great physical and mental shape. Um, I've got through the hardest time in my entire life. And obviously, you know, that's going to define who I am now as a man for the rest of my career. So uh, I'm ready to go, mate. Uh, get the boys ready and, and everyone on the same page and, and us kicking and roaring at the same time. And it's going to be an exciting season. And as you mentioned, you know, off the back of a tough 2020, you're back playing in the NBL. As you mentioned there, the Olympics are on the horizon as well. How exciting is that prospect? And also, you know, working under the great man, Brian Gorgian as well. 
Yeah, look, I've actually never spent any time around Brian, but, um, you know, Gorge gave me a call a couple of weeks ago and, and kind of had a great chat. And, you know, we, we have a lot of similarities, obviously, and, and I know who he is as a man and how he coaches. And I've heard a lot of stories. So I'm actually really excited to be a part of, you know, potentially a training camp, um, to have some time with him, you know, during the season uh, to try and catch up and, you know, just to see and acclimate myself to obviously, you know, someone different. Andre Lamanis was there for so long and did an amazing job. We had a great relationship, but now there's, you know, someone new. You've got to kind of learn to understand them. It's about trust and, and building a relationship. So uh, it does sound like I'm about to take him on a date, but uh, I am trying to figure him out a little bit and, and just see, you know, how he is and how he likes to be, you know, I guess, uh, treat his players and, you know, how he coaches and, all the systems and, and, and cultural things he puts in place. So I've heard a lot of great stories, uh, but I think it's time we write our own. Maybe pay for the dinner on the first date uh, when you two uh, get together. Just finally, you mentioned it's been a tough time for yourself and your family, separated at times this year. What's what's on the agenda uh, for Christmas? Um, it's actually a great question. I was meant to fly up to Coffs Harbour. I had flights and accommodation booked to see my sister, um, but obviously New South Wales and... Have uh, have kind of turned it on its head. So uh, I've had to cancel my flights there. Uh, my dad uh, actually drove up from Horsham to Brisbane to see my other sister, uh, who lives over there with her beautiful little uh, boy and husband. And uh, they now have gastro. So oh my god, I'm uh, I'm going to be spending Christmas at Christmas at home, just kind of relaxing. Um, I've had a few by myself being overseas now. So um, I'll have a few Facetimes. I might go to a friend's house and steal some of their food at some point, but. Um, I'm just going to enjoy the couple of days we have off, mate, decompress a little bit and get ready for the season. Oh, thank goodness 2020 is nearly done, Mitch. It's been an absolute disaster, hasn't it? Hey, thank you so much for for your time this morning. Exciting times ahead in uh, 2021. Have a great Christmas, a great new year, and I'm sure we'll touch base uh, before the start of the new NBL season. No worries. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the support. Merry Christmas, everyone. Great to have Mitch Creek on the line, Phoenix star ahead of the new NBL season. Welcome back to Mornings. Julian DeStoop uh, with you. Great to have Mitch Creek on the show. Just a reminder, coming up in uh, for the rest of the show, we'll speak to Darren Berry about the summer of cricket, the BBL. Uh, big win last night for the Thunder and a very controversial uh, decision. Uh, Usman Khawaja uh, involved in that one. And AJ Ty, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the build-up to Boxing Day. And as a proud Victorian, I'm thinking uh, that Darren Berry would be a massive fan of the Sydney Test being moved to Melbourne. We spoke to Robert Craddock earlier in the show about his article uh, today where he says if you can't get a crowd to the SCG Test, it should be moved to Melbourne. There's no point having it if you can't have fans. And, and particularly, as one of our text texters pointed out earlier in the show, that uh, given it's the pink ball, uh, the pink uh, test and all the fundraising that goes around Jane McGrath Day, uh, and for breast cancer, it would be very sad if that test was played behind closed doors. And if you moved it to Melbourne, you certainly could keep that tradition alive of having uh, Jane McGrath Day. So we'll keep our eye out on on what happens uh, with that story. We'll have some more basketball uh, later in the show. The NBA season about to begin. A couple of big games on today. Just seen a, a, a video on Twitter of uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant uh, embracing. There'll be opponents today uh, when the Nets uh, play the Warriors. Uh, Steph Curry coming off an injury Depleted season. Kevin Durant playing his first match in nearly 18 months. And then the defending champions, the LA Lakers, uh, play their crosstown rivals, the LA Clippers. We'll speak to Trevor Lane uh, from Lakers Nation. Uh, writes for them and also does a podcast about uh, the Lakers uh, and his predictions for the NBA season. What will happen with Ben Simmons? Will he stay at the Philadelphia 76ers? 
uh, what is going to happen to James Harden. Will he move uh, from the Houston Rockets? Also, uh, to finish the show, we'll speak to Paul Gow about the year in golf and also what we saw on the weekend, the amazing vision of Tiger Woods playing with his son, Charlie, and uh, not only the similarities in their golf swing, but almost everything about their game, their reactions, the fist pumps, the way he takes the glove off the hand, uh, the way he watches uh, the ball once he hits it. It was a remarkable video the PGA Tour uh, put up uh, yesterday. If you haven't seen it, it goes for about two and a half minutes, a a beautiful video of all the similarities uh, with some commentary in it. It was uh, fantastic stuff. So we'll speak to Paul Gow about that uh, later on in the show. And that's prompted our discussion today about your favourite father-son, father-daughter, Mother-daughter, mother-son combinations in sport. We've had a lot of suggestions uh, so far on the temper text machine. Just a few more here I'll read out before we get to John uh, in Port Augusta. Francis and David Burke, says Steve from Bacchus Marsh. Francis, what a champion he was for the Tigers. David played some good footy. Had a lot of injuries, unfortunately, in his career at Richmond. A lot of shoulder injuries before he played a couple of games at the end towards North Melbourne. The Bulldogs have had a great tradition. Uh, The Wittens, the Wallaces, the Liberatores... Uh, Graham from Eltham, not many better families than them. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Grant and his daughter, uh, Isabella as well, uh, who's making her way in the AFLW competition. Uh, You can add the Hunters to the list there, Lockie Hunter and his dad, Mark Hunter, uh, who also played for the Western Bulldogs. Good nomination here from Craig uh, in the cricket world. You've got James Sutherland, the former CEO of Cricket Australia, former Victorian cricketer, his son, Will, and his daughter, Annabelle. Uh, who's played for Australia, and Will is a very promising uh, fast bowler who could have been a very good uh, footballer as well. So great work from the Sutherland family. Steve Waugh and his son Austin, we hope, writes another. Dick and Steve Johnson in V8s. It's a a good sport for producing father-sons, the V8s. And uh, last one here from John. Hi, Julian. Merry Christmas. Three father-sons that I love. Jack Brabham, of course, uh, former F1 champion, and his son David who uh, also raced in Formula One. Socceroos defender Alan Davidson and his son Jason. And Jason's uh, played for the Socceroos as well. Also spent some time uh, in the A-League. And as our man earlier, Robert Craddock, mentioned, a great grandfather-grandson combination, Victor Richardson. Of course, the Victor Richardson Gates are famous at Adelaide Oval and the Chapel brothers, Ian, Greg and Trevor. But let's go to John from Port Augusta, who's been holding on for a while. G'day, John. Hello, Julian. How are you, mate? I'm very well, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and yourselves. You too. And thank you. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of dates, all right? Go for it. I've got a few. Russell and Brad Ebert. Um, Russell Ebert, obviously, got born on a make buys. And the year with North Melbourne had the most possessions in 1979 and was commuting, one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And Brad Ebert, sorry, Brad's a cousin. Who else you got? Um, Marsh, um, what's his name? Uh, Rod Marsh and Paul Marsh, the administrator, the yeah. football and cricket administrator. Yeah, brothers. Uh, and uh, the Wittens and Aiden Button Sr. and Aiden Button Jr. Yeah, that is a great nomination, uh, the Buntons. And, and of course, uh, Ted Witten Jr., a lot of people forget, was a fantastic footballer in his own right. Uh, played state football for Victoria, and we all know what his dad, uh, Ted Witten Sr., did for not only uh, Footscray, but also state football. And, uh, well, state football's never really been the same, and we don't even have state football anymore. We'd love to see it come back, because uh, in the days when Ted Witten was chairman of selectors for Victoria, it was massive, and I'm, I'm sure being from South Australia, John, you uh, 
Remember, actually, yesterday on Fox Footy, there was the 1989 state game from uh, the MCG, which was Victoria and South Australia. It was the first time in 20-odd years that Victoria had played SA at the MCG. They won by 93 points. And just looking at that forward line for Victoria, and, and you've got to remember, Gary Abbott-Seeney would have played in that game too, but he was suspended at the time. He had Tony Lockett, Jason Dunstall, Barry Stoneham, Terry Danaher, Gavin Brown won the, the EJ Witten medal that day playing on a wing. Starting on the bench for Victoria with Dermot Brereton and Tim Watson. That's how strong that side was uh, in 1989. So great memories there of state football. A couple more coming through on the temper text line. 0433 whenever you want to join us. Uh, Todd and also Jack Viney. That's a very good nomination. And an Olympic theme here. Jessica Fox, the canoeist, and her parents, Richard and Miriam, who were also Olympians. So uh, that great nomination there about some Olympians and uh, yeah, the Eberts. What a famous family in South Australian football. We chatted to another member of the Ebert family yesterday, Brad Ebert, of course, the nephew of uh, Russell Ebert and cousin of Brett Ebert, who had a fantastic career uh, in his own right. Another uh, nomination here uh, from the motorsport world as well, uh, Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr. And the NASCARs in America have certainly produced uh, many father-son combinations. And, and we mentioned this one before when we were talking about AFLW. Peter Moody, of course, the famous race trainer, and his daughters, Celine and Bree, both playing women's footy and doing very well, says Bo. And I'm very good. This is not bad from Stuart. What about the cricket father-son, Jarvid, me and dad? Well done, Stuart. Well done. I was waiting for that one uh, to come through. So plenty more, as we say, coming up on SEN Mornings. We'll speak to Darren Berry about the build-up to the second test and also what chance there is at the MCG. Unbelievable, as Robert Craddock said, to think the MCG could have back-to-back tests when we thought not too long ago we wouldn't even have a Boxing Day test to start. Trevor Lane will join us from the States with the build-up to the NBA season, not too far away from tip-off in that first match between the Golden State Warriors and the Brooklyn Nets. And Paul Gow will chat some golf, and in particular, a very pretty impressive golf swing on young Charlie Woods, the son of Tiger. All that and more coming up after we check in with the newsroom. Yeah, not a great forecast weather-wise for the next few days. Not going to be a hot Christmas, but uh, thankfully the forecast uh, for Boxing Day looks uh, really good. 27 degrees, and given the year we've had, we can't have any rain in the Boxing Day test. We can't have that interrupted with weather. We're due for a change of fortune in what has been a really, really tough year in 2020. We're still asking for your nominations for father-sons, father-daughters, uh, mother-daughters, mother-sons. And I was waiting for this one to come through, and it's uh, it's literally just come through. And uh, the well, probably the greatest player we've seen in AFLW so far is Aaron Phillips, not only a great Australian rules footballer, but a fantastic basketball basketballer for Australia and in the WNBA. And, of course, her dad, Greg Phillips, an absolute champion at Port Adelaide and also came over and played some VFL football uh, with Collingwood. Uh, Bart Cummings and grandson James is coming through pretty strongly. Uh, we met uh, The last caller mentioned the Marshes, and, of course, Daniel Marsh was a pretty successful cricketer for Tasmania, the son of Rodney Marsh. Lindsay and young Andrew Gay still coming through very, very strongly. Uh, the greatest of all father-sons, the Fletchers and the Watsons, go Bombers, Bernie from Caulfield. Um, and the, well, this is not father-son, it's brother-brother, but the Manning brothers in the NFL, of course, uh, Peyton Manning, one of the great quarterbacks of all time. So plenty still coming through. Love to get your thoughts too on back-to-back MCG tests. I think I know the answer to this question. I think most Victorians would absolutely love uh, to see another test in Melbourne, given the lack of live sport uh, we've had this year. And what a, what a month that would set up. Boxing Day test, 
The third test move from Sydney to Melbourne. All these lead-up, as Tom Woodbridge said before earlier on the show, all these lead-up events that will be in Melbourne for the Australian Open. And then the Australian Open starting on February 8th. So that would be a huge month of live sport uh, in Melbourne. So uh, hopefully some great things to come for Melbourne sports fans. I mentioned uh, one of the temper texts before talking about Jessica Fox and her father uh, that was absolutely fantastic, and her mum. They were both canoeists, uh, Olympic canoeists. Uh, uh, Richard Fox was her father and also Miriam uh, her mum, but they were both great athletes in their own right. And Jessica Fox uh, certainly continuing on that tradition. But we're going to turn our attention and back to cricket after the break when we speak to a big part of the SEN commentary team. We're going to talk BBL. We're going to talk about Ian Chappell's comments, Steve Smith's response, all the build-up to the Boxing Day test and whether there should be two tests in Melbourne when we speak with Darren Berry here on SEN Mornings. Well, it seems like Ian Chappell's got an outlandish statement after every single match at the moment. Um, so I think uh, from, from my point of view, short ball's part of the game. Um, I think, you, you know, we've seen over the years there's been some really good battles. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think it should be outlawed at all. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. That was Steve Smith on the program yesterday when uh, asked about Ian Chappell's column about he doesn't want the short ball taken out of the game, but his, his point was that he believes at times umpires need to step in if some tail-end batsmen are being repeatedly bombarded uh, with the short ball. As, as some callers pointed out yesterday, you can't really be bombarded when you can only bowl uh, to and over. But clearly, uh, Steve Smith... Not a fan of Ian Chappell's thoughts. And uh, there's a bit of history building up there where Ian Chappell was a bit critical of uh, Steve Smith. He was almost suggesting he was undermining uh, Tim Payne with some of his uh, moves in the field uh, not too long ago. So there's a little bit of tension uh, between those two. We'll speak to Darren Berry about that and all things uh, cricket very shortly. Just a couple more off the temper text, 0433 98 uh, when you want to join us. We're talking about uh, great father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter combinations in sport. And uh, this is a really good one here. Max Crow, 188 games for Essen, St Kilda and Footscray. Daughter Kim Crow, an Olympic gold medalist in the single skull Rowing, and of course, uh, the son of Max Crow, Justin Crow, played one game for the Pies and recently was the strength and conditioning coach at the Bombers. And uh, plenty more coming through. We'll read a few more out after we speak to Darren Berry. A big part of SEN Summer of Cricket Coverage has been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Chuck. Morning, Jules. How are you going? Very well. Yourself? Uh, not bad. Looking forward to tonight's Big Bash Clash and then obviously really looking forward to the build-up to the uh, Boxing Day Test Match and it's great that we can get you know some sort of semblance of a big crowd back at the awakening of the MCG. I'll speak to you about the Big Bash uh, very shortly, but uh, we just played those comments before uh, from Steve Smith that was not overly happy with that. Ian Chappell talking about the short pitch bowling and maybe the umpires need to step in if some of the tail enders are, are copying some short pitch stuff. Where do you sit on on the short ball, and um, is it a, is it a worry if we're getting tailenders bounced, or is that just all part of the game? No, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I think it's part of the game. I mean, what you're allowed to bowl half follies, but you're not allowed to bowl half trackers. I mean, it's part of the game, and I think intimidation is also part of the game. And your ability to be able to play that, if you're playing at the highest level, you've got to find a way to be able to evade the short ball, or more importantly good players find a way to score off the short ball. So personally, Jules, and it's all an opinion, I suppose, I don't have a problem. It's part of the bowler's weaponry to be able to bowl full, short, swing, you know, all those type of things. No issues, my end. 
We spoke to Robert Craddock uh, earlier in the show, and he's written an article today saying if, if we can't get a crowd in Sydney, th- this test, this third test uh, in Sydney should be moved to Melbourne. What's your thoughts on that? Probably asking the wrong person there. I'm happy to have them all at the <laughs> MCG, mate. Uh, but look, Sydney is a very much important part of the cricketing schedule. And look, I hope, uh, you know, we've been through in Melbourne what we've been through this winter has been horrible. And it's just a shame that Sydney siders, and to an extent, I suppose, other parts of Australia now, you know, re- under real threat to lose Christmas, which is a very special time for everybody. Uh, I-, I would like to see the Sydney test go ahead. It's not looking great. So if not, uh, Melbourne is the venue for sure for me. The double header, you know, back to back, if you like, two big test matches. What would that mean in terms of the wicket? There's always been a lot of focus on the MCG pitch in recent years. And in fairness to, to Matt Page and the team, they produced a really good uh, test wicket yep. last year. Um, how would that all work, do you think, if we've got to have back to backs? Uh, so long as the, I'm sure, and again, I don't know this, Jules, but I'm sure they would be now planning for it. And uh, as you know, the MCG now has dropping wickets. So I would suggest, uh, you know, as of a week ago, when this sort of kicked off, they would have, and I don't know exactly how much time you need to prepare a wicket, but they would have had wickets in on the go. You would, they wouldn't just prepare one wicket for the Boxing Day test. They'd have plan A, B and C. Uh, and, you know, obviously A will be the Boxing Day wicket, and I reckon Plan B and C might now be uh, getting a few extra groundsmen to do some work on that for the, the likely event that the um, the New Year's test is there. Yeah, I'm sure that they will be prepared. And, and obviously the Boxing Day test is massive, and it, it's going to be really, or well, even bigger this year, because of the tribute we're going to see to uh, Dean Jones. And it, we're asking fans, uh, even in their lounge rooms, to salute Dino by donning zinc cream, which was his trademark. Also, a formal tribute to Dino is planned during the tea break at 3.24 on Boxing Day. Of course, 324 was Jones's highest first-class score and also his test cap uh, number for Australia. So that's going to be a pretty emotional time come Boxing Day as well. Oh, very much so, Jules, and obviously something very, very close to my heart. I spent the last five years... Uh, uh, alongside Dino in the Pakistan Super League as his assistant coach. We've shared an enormous amount of time together. When I first started as a kid for Victoria, I was his roommate. Uh, we had a fallout mid, mid-career and, uh, you know, just because he's no longer with us, Dino fell out with a few people, but I'm one of the lucky ones, I think, that absolutely saw the softer side of Dean Jones and the real person. I know his family well. Uh, I'm going on Boxing Day as a guest of uh, his wife, Jane, and their children um, to a, a very special luncheon. And it is going to be very emotional for me personally because I never got to say goodbye to one of my good friends. It was a tragedy. And I hope all Melbournians uh, and across the country will will absolutely pay tribute to someone that was an innovator, Jules, in, in world. He was before his time, mate. He was a T20 player before anyone thought of it. Um, he was a truly great player. You don't say that lightly. He was a great player. For me, he's the best one-day player. And we've had some greats with Bevan and Hussey and the Wars and Warren and McGrath. Dean Jones was a very, very special cricketer. And I'm lucky enough to say that uh, through good times and bad times, I was one of his close friends. And to be honest, mate, I'm still really... Uh, I don't know what the words are, mate. I just like can't believe it's happened. I really can't believe it's happened. I spoke to him on the phone for two hours the day before the tragic news come through, and it's just you're just so unexpected. So I'll be there with thousands of others, Melbournians, and uh, yep, I might even have to get the zinc cream out on the bottom lip. Definitely. I, I, was, I was thinking when you were speaking there, I was thinking for his close friends like yourself, it probably still 
hasn't sunk in that uh, Dino is no longer with us. And I, no doubt that will be a beautiful tribute on Boxing Day. And given his popularity amongst Victorians, uh, that is going to be certainly something to see. Just looking ahead to the Test match, what are you expecting from India here in terms of the changes they'll make to their lineup and and what sort of response can we expect? I mean, losing their best player, losing one of their great bowlers in Shami, coming off a humiliating defeat. What sort of response do you expect from the tourists? Well, it doesn't look good, but they are very proud. They are a very proud nation. And, you know, last time they were on our shores, they, they beat us. And obviously now Smith back in and still conjecture whether Warren will be, Warner will be back in for uh, Boxing Day. Um, it'll be interesting. I think Rohit Sharma is their experienced player, but he's coming out of the quarantine. Whether or not he's got enough sort of match conditioning under his belt to put him straight in, he's their best player, I think, Rohit Sharma. But I think KL Rahul's another one that could come in in any spot in the order, and he's an aggressive player. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in. There's a bit of talk about the opener in, in Gill. Uh, not only the fact that Coley is gone, they lose his leadership. Uh, they had some troubles right through the order, but even in the first innings, their top order wasn't great. So, look, let's while we've got them down, we've got to, we've got to really rub their nose in it at Boxing Day, I would have thought. And I'd love Australia to go 2-0 up and sort of, you know, go to Sydney with their tails between their legs. But I do expect a stern response. You know, Ashwin and Jasper Boomer and a few other proud players in that lineup. Um be interesting to see who they replace um, Mohamed Shami with as well, one of the young bowlers. So there's no jewels. They're undermanned. And, and we go in, you know, raging favourites for this test for sure. Yeah, and of course, we've got to remember too, Ishan Sharma's not here. Another one that would certainly be uh, in that bowling yep. attack. What about behind the stumps? Could you see a change behind the stumps for India as well? Well, look, that's an interesting one. Again, I think Ridiam Saha is the best wicketkeeper in the world. I think he is number one. So for me, as a keeper, I'm picking him. But last time they were here, Rishpa Pant, who mm. we know is an aggressive left-handed bat, uh, and can keep wickets. I'm sure they'll consider that. Saha has got a pretty good record, you know, as a, as a batsman in Test cricket as well. So I would stay with the best wicket keeper. I always would, but it wouldn't surprise me if India maybe sort of push the panic button a bit and think, well, there's another change we can go with. I don't think they'll bring him in just as a batsman, given they've got Rahul, Gill, and Rohit Sharma. Do they replace the keeper? Better minds than mine will be. Uh, you know, swinging over that at the moment. Not for mine. I'm staying with the best keeper, Saha. And looking at the Australian team, we're expecting probably unchanged with David Warner battling to be fit and Will Pekoski uh, still not available. I know you were one of several that were pretty staggered that Joe Burns was selected for the last test. What, what, what do you read into that second innings performance from, from Joe Burns? Well, we take it as a positive, absolutely. And again, when I was saying about Joe Burns, I've got nothing against the kid. He's a bloody good player, but... I just felt leading into that test, there was no way he should have played because his form was atrocious. And I'll stand by those words, as many others would. But selectors, you know, they had a plan. They stuck, and he's got that not out in the second inning. So you'd suggest now, you know, if they've gone that far, I don't think they're going to put a pin in now if Warner comes in. So Burns will play. Uh, if Warner's available, he goes in at the top. And then they've got a decision to make, whether it's Travis Head, Matthew Wade, or young Cameron Green at six. One of them will have to miss out if, if Warner comes in, but still, that's to be finalised. So they're the only options. The, the bowling attack, it's the best uh, bowling attack in the world. That remains unchanged. Three best quicks and the best off-spinner in, in the world. Um, and Payne's doing a wonderful job as captain and keeper. So it's just that batting order to shore up. And I'd suggest if Warner comes in, uh, Travis Head or, or Matthew Wade will probably go out. Seen a few people asking on Twitter today about Tim Payne. Is he the best keeper in the world? Well, 
I just said to you, I think William Saha is the best wicketkeeper in the world, but Tim Payne's very close behind. He's definitely the best wicketkeeper in our country, and a lot of people maybe still debate that and say, oh, we're not sure. Tim Payne has been outstanding since he's taken over the captaincy of Australia. Uh, in, all for, in all areas, I think his leadership has grown, and I, and I love the way he goes about it. He's still he's prepared to push the boundaries and not be walked over, but he's also very respectful and natural in the media. I reckon he's a star. His batting's more than adequate. People are on his back about his batting. I think I read a stat, Julian, that behind Adam Gilchrist, who was a freak, he's got the second best batting ever given Australian wicketkeeper. So forget about that. And then people that don't understand wicketkeeping, and, and I hope I'm qualified enough to comment on this, he is a quality wicketkeeper, Tim Payne. He's worked to Nathan Lyon. So for me, it's not even a discussion. Tim Payne is the Australian captain, wicketkeeper batsman, for as long as he... He wants it, and his form remains that way. There's not even a discussion for mine. Yeah, you did say Saha was the best. Uh, my apologies, uh, and I think you're more than qualified. You're right. He's, uh, his batting average now is better than Brad Hatton. On to the BBL, another howler of a decision last night. I mean, oh. where, where do you sit on the lack of DRS in the B- BBL? Well, first and foremost, I'm not a fan of DRS. I never have been. I don't like it. I think all it does is protect the umpire. I hate the... Uh, the uh, ball tracking, that half the ball's hitting and half of it's not. If the, I've always said if the bales are being hit, it is out. When you let the ball go, Jules, outside off stump, right, and you don't play a shot, and it just clips the top of the off bale, and the bale falls off, are you out? You're out bold, aren't you? You are out, yes. Yeah. So then the DRS says, oh, the ball's only hitting half the stump. Yeah, well, guess what? It's out. Yeah, true. So I, 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 hate the, I don't like the DRS. I never have. And it, for me, it was designed to protect the umpire's decision. And when it goes back, I don't like it. However, what we saw last night, you, you don't need the DRS. That is just purely and simply, right, that is umpire, umpire error. I mean, you know, my wife doesn't even understand the game. And she said that he hit that. You know, I could see it. I could hear it. So that is just a monumental error by the umpire. No umpire goes out there to make mistakes. They've got a tough job. Right? And they've got to make an instantaneous decision. I don't say for a minute it's easy. But if you are umpiring at that level and you can't see that that's caught behind, you shouldn't be at that level. I'm sorry. That was a shocking, shocking decision. And then, and I've seen umpires do this before, I think he probably thought, gee, maybe I made a mistake. And then the worst thing an umpire can do is justify his decision to the bowler. And when he said, I thought he hit the ground, that actually made Julesy's bad decision 10 times worse because blind Freddie could see that his bat was about a foot, two foot off the ground. So he made a mistake with his decision and then a mistake in his justification. I don't even know who the umpire was, to be honest, but unfortunately, we can't sugarcoat it. He's had a shocker. Yeah, that was an absolute howler. And uh, AJ Ty, not happy and uh, fair enough too. Uh, Darren, thank you so much uh, for your time. Big Bash returns tonight. The Brisbane Heat and the Adelaide Strikers. You can hear it here on SEN. Uh, Enjoy that. Enjoy the Boxing Day test. Have a great Christmas and we'll touch base again soon. Thanks, Jules. I'm looking forward to it. Calling the action tonight. Heat and Strikers, and they both need a win. I think Andy Marr and myself on Big Bash Nation. So uh, tune into that one on SEN and have a good Christmas to you and all your listeners. Thank you, Darren. Hope you get a word in with Andy uh, as your co-commentator as well. Uh, we'll get to a break. Uh, plenty more coming up on SEN Mornings. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Uh, time to talk some basketball now. It just feels like yesterday the LA Lakers walked away with the NBA title, but it's all on again 
as the new season uh, gets underway. And one man that will be hoping for another great season for the LA Lakers is senior writer at Lakers Nation and also host of the Lakers Nation uh, podcast in Trevor Lane, who's been good enough to join us from the United States. Uh, morning, Trevor. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Very well. I uh, hope you're going well as well. It must feel like, a, for everyone that covers the NBA over there, it must feel like a, a very, very short turnaround uh, between seasons. There's been plenty uh, going on in the off-season, plenty of player movement. Uh, what's the feel over there ahead of another season? Oh, man. I mean, we're uh, obviously our heads are spinning a little bit with how quickly it's all started up again. But everybody's excited. You know, the, the Lakers get a chance to defend their championship and they'll get their rings on opening night. And so that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun and, and exciting. But it does feel like it was such a quick turnaround. It feels like it was just maybe a week ago that they won the championship, even though we know it was back in October. But uh, but still, it has been a very quick turnaround, uh, but still excited to get things going again. For someone like yourself that uh, grew up a, a Lakers fan, love the Lakers, still do, what's this year been like for for a Lakers fan? I mean, it started in the most horrific way possible with the with the sudden death of, of Kobe Bryant. And then, and I'm not comparing the two, obviously, but by the end of the season on the court, it couldn't have been any better uh, by winning a championship. What's it been for someone that's like for someone like yourself and the millions of people in LA that have got a real emotional connection with the Lakers? Well, it's certainly been bittersweet in that regard. Losing Kobe Bryant was devastating to to Lakers fans, to basketball fans around the world. Um, it, it was a tragedy that nobody was expecting, and, and it really hit us. And that was um, that was something that the fan base had to deal with. That was something that the team and the organization had to deal with. But it did create this sort of win-it-for-Kobe mentality on the team, and they wanted to go out there and make sure that they did something special in order to honor Kobe Bryant, and they did just that you know, winning a 17th NBA championship. And so um, for as much adversity as, as they face off the court, uh, to succeed on the court the way they did was made even more special because there was that, that added meaning behind it. There was that sense of accomplishment beyond just, beyond just the sport, beyond just winning an NBA championship, doing something in remembrance of Kobe Bryant only added to, to how much this championship meant to the Lakers organization and to their, their massive fan base. Emotionally, how much did that take out of not only the players but the whole organisation? And, and given there is such a short turnaround between seasons, um, sort of emotionally, how difficult will it be to, to get up again and, and start another campaign for the Lakers? I think it is going to be difficult. You know, it's something where they, they really didn't get much downtime to process things after, you know, not only winning a championship but dealing with the things that they did. And there's been a lot of turnover on the roster. They have many new players that are in there and a few players who have now left. And so there's a, there's a lot to adjust to now starting up a new season. And so we can understand if maybe there's a little bit of a slow start here, maybe if they, if they don't look um, like they're quite as as sharp as we would expect, then, you know, that's uh, understandable given what they've gone through and the quick turnaround. So we'll see how quickly they can really, they can really get up to speed here. But if it takes a little while, I think everybody's going to be understanding of that. You mentioned some of the changes they've made to the roster in the off-season. From afar and, and looking at some of the articles that are coming out of the States and, and both here from the uh, NBA analysts here, on paper at least, they, they look better than they were than the team that won the championship last season. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think on paper they 
they what really surprised me was they had the goal coming into this offseason of, of, number one, they wanted to get younger. They wanted to get some players who were in their mid-20s who were closer to Anthony Davis's age so that he would feel like, hey, long-term, they have a team that's built around him and not just around a LeBron James that's about to turn 36 years old in just a couple of weeks here. And so they did that. They managed to get Montrez Harrell. They managed to get uh, Dennis Schroeder. And, and so that definitely helped in that regard. But they also got better and to, to get both of those things, to improve talent-wise and get younger. That's really impressive. In fact, we saw the latest NBA general manager uh, poll that, that was taken. The NBA GMs around the league voted the Lakers as having the best offseason of any team in the NBA, which is, is certainly remarkable for a team that had just won an NBA championship. So where, where does the main, obviously the Lakers are going to start this season uh, favourite in a lot of people's eyes. From your point of view, where do you think the main challenges will come from this season? Yeah, I think the, the big one, of course, is, is still the Clippers. And that was the one that we were looking at last season. Unfortunately, the two sides didn't meet in the NBA playoffs. They, you know, the Clippers lost in the second round. And so they didn't see the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. But they are still a very good team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And they've added some pieces. So that's going to be a tough team. The Denver Nuggets um, are also going to be right there. They're a team that every year that they get more experience, they're going to get better and better. Uh, The Utah Jazz are a solid team in the West as well. And then you look across it to the Eastern Conference, and you've got the Milwaukee Bucks, who added Drew Holiday. The Boston Celtics uh, picked up some pieces. They did lose Gordon Hayward, but they're still going to be uh, right there. The Miami Heat, who they met in the NBA Finals, kept their team from last year. So they're going to be – uh, a tough squad to deal with. There's a number of, of contenders out there in both conferences that are going to be tough to deal with. And, uh, and that just makes for an exciting season, you know, where you've got a lot of challenges and a lot of really good teams. It should be a really fun one. Uh, watching for the, from afar, the player movement in the NBA is always uh, fascinating. And the situation with James Harden is, uh, is a really interesting one to follow uh, from afar. I mean, he doesn't look in great condition, it sounds like he's going to suit up for the Rockets. Where, where's this all going to end for James Harden and the Houston Rockets, do you think? I think at, at some point he's going to be traded. It feels like that. It doesn't seem like there's, there's any, any sign towards him reconciling with the organization and changing his mind and wanting to stay. It appears that he is going to leave, but the challenge there is he still has two years under contract. And so the Rockets don't have to be in any hurry to move him, to give in to his demands or anything. Or he can make life uncomfortable on them with you know some bad behavior and things like that uh but the rockets ultimately have to do what's best for their franchise and try to get as much as they possibly can if they are indeed going to trade james harden this is a top five nba superstar they can't let him go without getting significant assets moving forward and if that offer isn't there because harden is under contract for two years they do have the luxury of waiting a little bit to see if the offers do improve so Ultimately, I think a deal will be found and Harden will be moved, whether that's tomorrow or whether that's before the trade deadline or maybe next offseason. Nobody really knows. Um, it, it all depends on the offers and what Houston finds acceptable at this point. It's been suggested in uh, many of the articles and, and from many of the analysts over there that uh, Australia's own Ben Simmons could be involved in potentially a trade that sees James Harden go to the 76ers. Can you see that happening? And, and for Ben, would, um, given it looks like the Rockets are clearly past their, their time of, of, of competing for a championship. If Ben went the other way, would that be a good move for Ben Simmons? 
I think it, it could be. You know, Ben Simmons is he's phenomenal. I, I think that if the 76ers put Ben Simmons out there in a deal for James Harden, the, the Rockets should take that immediately. You're getting a 24-year-old with so much potential and so much upside who's already just a tremendous player and so good, especially on the defensive end of the floor. He's amazing. Um, he's fantastic. So if there's a way for them to get him, that would be an ideal scenario for Houston. And then you look at what they've got. You know, Gerald Morey with the 76ers, he obviously has a connection for, with James Harden, so perhaps there's something there where he would want to bring him in. But if you're Houston and you can get a 24-year-old Ben Simmons to come in, maybe they don't have the top-end talent that the 76ers do right now. But the Rockets do have the ability to add pieces moving forward, and you get him in. Maybe they trade John Wall to, to free up a little bit of, uh, of space there. There's some moves that they could make to put some pieces around Ben Simmons. I don't think year one that Rockets team would be better or give Ben Simmons a better opportunity to win than the 76ers do at the moment. But I do think there's some potential there moving forward. I really like Christian Wood, the guy that they added in the offseason. He is a very, very intriguing talent. So there's some pieces there that potentially uh, grow with Ben Simmons. So that could be exciting, even if it would be a, a temporary step back for him. And like any sport, we don't want to see that the superstars of the game sideline. And we haven't seen Kevin Durant play for about 18 months now. He, he, he's back. Um, what can we expect from Kevin Durant at his age and coming off such a serious injury? Well, so far, he's looked great. I mean, it's, that is, like you said, that, that injury is, is really difficult. An Achilles tear, to recover from that is, is tough. And most players are just not themselves after they do come back. And Lakers fans know that well, seeing Kobe Bryant deal with that. But so far, Kevin Durant looks, looks tremendous. And the nice thing with him is, is a lot of his game isn't built just around his athleticism. And so even if he is a little bit less explosive, the fact that he is 6'10", 6'11", he's so tall, he's so lanky, he can shoot over defenders, and so much of his game is built around his shooting touch and just his, his physical profile rather than his explosiveness, I think that's going to allow him to, to really be success, successful where some other players might not trying to recover from this injury. So I think he's still going to be a very, very, very good player. Is he MVP caliber like he was a few seasons ago? I don't know about that. We'll have to wait and see. But he does look really good right now. And that's a great thing for, for, for basketball, for the NBA, for the sport, to have Kevin Durant because he's an incredible talent. Trevor, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in Australia, we like to claim people as our own very closely, even uh, even though only spend a, a, f- a bit of time on our shores. We're doing that with the Lamello ball. He is Aussie Lamello. Um, what do you think he can do in his first NBA season? What have you seen so far from a few of the practice games that he's played? Well, I like that. I, I like that. Aussie Lamello. I think that works. We need to make that stick. Um, he is, he, he's really good. He's, he's incredible. His passing vision, you know, we said Lonzo ball coming in was one of the best passers we've seen coming on in a, in a long time. And I think LaMelo might be even better. His passing instincts are tremendous. The question for him is going to be, can he keep up the scoring? Can he be a consistent threat from behind the three point arc? But, you know, it sure looks like the Charlotte Hornets got themselves quite a player. And you know what, for a team, that often gets overlooked in the media for a team that doesn't get much of a spotlight on them. He's going to bring that. He's going to bring that attention. And with not just his off court stuff, but with his style of play, the way, the way he plays the game, the flair that he plays it with, that's going to bring eyeballs to the Charlotte Hornets team. And so that's, 
that's a great thing for them, a great thing for uh, for their franchise, and uh, and hopefully it'll be a great thing for uh, for Ozzy Lamelo here as well. <laughs> you know what though, Trevor? If he's no good, we'll flick him pretty quick, and he'll be back to uh, being an American. But uh, let's hope this big thing for Lamelo Ball. It's great to see him here in the NBL. Just finally, before I let you go, it's it's always hard to forecast, and as you mentioned before, it's uh, there are a lot of contenders this year. It looks uh, pretty even, but if uh, you had to have a bet on uh, the two teams making it all the way through to the NBA Finals, who would you have it on? So I'm going to go with I, I'm I'm obviously a little biased here, but I'm going to say the Lakers make it through to the NBA Finals, and I'll also say from the East, it's it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. I think you know this is a team that uh, was the best team in the Eastern Conference for the entire regular season, and then just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. I think adding Drew Holiday like they did is going to give them that boost they need to get through to the NBA Finals. I think those teams face off, and again. I'm biased, but I'm going to say the Lakers take a, a second championship in a row here and, uh, and get the job done in the NBA Finals. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing for LeBron James's legacy? Uh, Trevor, great to chat. Uh, we're all looking forward to the start of the NBA season. From your point of view, uh, let's hope it's another good one for the Lakers. Have a good Christmas, a great new year, and I'm sure we'll touch base in the new year to talk more Lakers and more NBA. Sounds great. Same to you, and thank you so much for having me. Great to chat to Trevor Lane uh, from Lakers Nation. The NBA season getting underway shortly. Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Julian DeStoop with you. A reminder, catch the Vic Bread Super Series New Year's Eve from Tab Corp Park. 12 Group 1 races live on 7, mate, and simulcast on SEN Track. Great to have Trevor Lane uh, speaking about the Lakers. That first NBA game uh, is underway, and uh, the Brooklyn Nets have flown out of the block. So lead 28-13. Uh, against the Warriors uh, late in the first quarter. Kevin Durant back uh, playing his first game for the Nets and uh, drained his first three-pointer. He's been in red-hot form uh, in the preseason game. So uh, it's great to see one of the absolute stars of the NBA uh, back in action. Still plenty coming through on the Temper text machine. Temper, a mattress like no other. We've been talking great father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter, mother-son combinations uh, in sport. Uh, A few more coming through here. And we mentioned... uh, Tom Hurd, the son of James Hurd a while ago, got one here from Albie saying, Julian, did you see young Tom Hurd on the news last week? He was all muscled up, bigger than his father. Well, unfortunately, like his father, he uh, missed all of last year with a navicular injury in his foot, the injury that nearly ended James's career uh, in 1999. So he's had plenty of time in the gym. I did see those pictures, and, yeah, certainly uh, he is muscled up. Uh, coming from a soccer bra- background, young Tom, uh, and uh, if he, let's hope he can just get some footy under his belt uh, in the VFL this year and, and see what he's uh, made of. Uh, another one here from the world of baseball, Ken Griffey Sr. and son Ken Griffey Jr. played Major League Baseball in the same team at the same time. They even hit back-to-back home runs in a game in 1990. Jr. is now in the Hall of Fame. So great example there of uh, playing together, and uh, we might get that with LeBron James and his son either playing together or potentially against each other in a couple of years' time. And a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one here. Fantastic family at Essendon was the Johnson brothers in the 2000 Premiership, Jason and Mark. Yes, I know they aren't brothers. However, it irritates them, so we stick with it, writes Robin. Yeah, we had Jason Johnson on drive a couple of weeks ago, and he's us say nearly every day still he gets stopped and asked about what his brother Mark uh, is up to. So still plenty of people think the Johnsons were brothers, uh, not brothers, not even related, uh, but uh, great teammates in that great Essendon team of 2000. Also, this Christmas, the TAC is asking all Victorians to spend it wisely with the smartest advent calendar, encouraging safer driving with the help of Victoria's best brands and attractions. 
Each day reveals a new tip, trick or gift designed to create joyous moments of valuable entertainment for the holiday season on and off the road. The smartest advent calendar from the TAC. Find out more at tac.gov.au forward slash spend it wisely. So a great initiative there uh, from the TAC. If you're just tuning in, you missed the English League Cup scores uh, this morning. Yes, A-Rod, our panel man, he's an Arsenal man. He was he was pretty confident this morning. It was one all. He was pretty excited. But uh, then Manchester City went bang, bang, bang. 4-1 winners in an EFL Cup uh, quarterfinal there through to the semis. Big upset uh, in the other game with the championship side Brentford uh, knocking off Premier League side Newcastle. So long, long time since Newcastle uh, has won a trophy and uh, they're out of that competition uh, at the quarterfinal stage, losing 1-0 to Brentford. So just a reminder what else is coming up on the show uh, for the remaining half an hour. We're going to speak to Paul Gow very shortly, a former professional golfer, does some great work on Fox Sports about the year it has been in golf in 2020. Uh, like a lot of other sports, a fractured year, uh, not and no spectators at the majors, uh, of course. I mean, no, there's still some big problems in the US where most of the big tournaments are played. So not really sure what golf's going to look like uh, in 2021. But uh, we're also going to talk to him uh, about uh, young Tiger Woods' boy. Those shots of Charlie Woods, a great video put up by the PGA Tour, just showing the similarities uh, between uh, not only their golf swing, but everything they do on the golf course. And what a beautiful swing uh, the 11-year-old uh, Charlie has. So we'll talk to Paul Gow uh, about that uh, very shortly. Still happy to take your calls, one 736 736 Send us a temper text, 0433981116. But now we're going to check in with the newsroom. Thank you, Celeste. Paul Gow, not too far away. Just apologies to, to a couple of callers that have been trying to get through. Just having a few problems uh, with the phones uh, at the moment. Hopefully they'll be back up and running uh, very, very shortly. Still getting plenty through on the temper text line, 0433 Our topic today has been great father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter and mother-son combinations in sport, that's off the back of what we're going to talk a bit to Paul Gow about, and that is uh, young Tiger Woods, his boy Charlie, and he's a very impressive golf swing. And what we saw uh, in the father-son challenge the other day is one that uh, interesting one coming through. From my cousins to my great-great-grandfather had five straight generations of O'Donoghue's at Belgrave Footy Club. Uh, Belgrave Footy Club, the Magpies, out there in the Yarra Valley uh, competition. Not famous, but very close to a record. Yeah, hard to see that uh, not being a record, to be honest. Five generations at the one club. That's amazing. And uh, here's one coming through about the Gunners. Jules, I spent seven years in London in my 20s and fell in love with Arsenal. I'm not sure how you fall in love with Arsenal, but anyway. That club's fall is absolutely inexcusable. They're just a shell of their former self. And unfortunately, I don't see it changing anytime soon. That is Chris in Batemans Bay, I think Chris is a Bombers man too. So he got that part right, but uh, didn't quite get the Arsenal part uh, of it right. Yeah, another loss this morning, if you're just joining us, 4-1 in the League Cup. So plenty of pressure on their manager, Mikhail Arteta, who started really well late last season. A lot of wins, FA Cup, and uh, a lot of people thought maybe back in the top four for Arsenal this year, but uh, they're actually closer to the bottom three uh, as we speak right now, as we go into this really busy time of fixtures around uh, Boxing Day and around the new year in the English Premier League. So desperate for a win there. Uh, Arsenal, uh, of course, the other League Cup semi-final this morning uh, saw Brentford 
defeat Newcastle 1-0. And just another bit of news we mentioned off the top of the show. Our nominations are in for the American Basketball Hall of Fame. And our own Lauren Jackson, a star in the WNBA, a star for the Opals, uh, has been nominated uh, this year. So it looks like the phones are back up and running. And uh, Michael is on the line from Heathmont. G'day, Michael. No, g'day. Um, I've just got a little piece of information about these father-sons and, and the things you've been just been talking about. Um, Jeff Ablett, Ke- uh, Kevin Ablett and Gary Ablett Sr., their uncle, Len Ablett, played for Richmond in the 40s. That's right. That's, that's right. I have heard that story before. And then I guess you've got, uh, you've got Nathan Ablett, you've got Luke Ablett, who played in a flag for the Swans, all related as well, and, and, and related to the Tuck family. So it is an unbelievable sporting family, the Abletts uh, and the Tucks. Any other nominations for us, Michael, while we've got you? That's all I got. Sorry for <laughs> no worries. I thought I'd try. I thought I'd try. Hey, thank you so much for your call, uh, Michael, uh, out there in Heathbot. So uh, a lot of nominations coming through. And we're going to see a lot more uh, father-daughters, aren't we, in, in footy with the, the AFLW going uh, from strength to strength. And uh, we look forward to seeing plenty of those emerge uh, in the coming years. As we say, Paul Gow is uh, not too far away. Uh, we'll take a break and then we'll speak to Paul about the year it was in golf and get his thoughts on the very impressive golf swing and the amazing similarities in mannerisms between Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie. You're listening to SEN Mornings. The mannerisms, club twirls, the gait, the fist pumps, like father, like son. That fist pump head you're talking about. What a duo that we're seeing. He's got it. Right in. We've got it covered, Dad. Come we're on, good. Dad. I Come got on you. up here. <laughs> Charlie opens a club place a little quicker on the backswing, but look at the width right there on the way back. You'll see at the top, little firmer hands for Charlie. Tiger drops the club in under a little bit. Yeah, an extraordinary likeness in more ways than one between Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie. That was put up by the PGA Tour. If you haven't seen it, beautiful pictures of all the similar mannerisms and the golf swing, as you heard the uh, the analysis at the end there, uh, is remarkably similar as well. It was uh, great pictures coming out of the States uh, on the weekend. It's been a tough year for golf like uh, many other sports uh, around the world. We're not too sure what we're going to get in 2021 to, to join us to chat all things golf uh, is a man that does some great work on Fox Sports in Paul Gow. G'day, Paul. Yeah, morning. Uh, what? First of all, let's start with uh, with Tiger and his young boy. Uh, unbelievable pictures. Uh, what did you make of it all? Oh, was that, yeah, it was fantastic. You know, I guess at Tiger, you know, just about to turn 45 years of age, he's, um, you know, he's going to that next phase of life of being a father and, and a mentor, I guess, to... Charlie and um, you know you know reading about Tiger and actually knowing Tiger, his father never pushed him into the game, and I think Tiger will be the same with Charlie. I think Charlie is a, a sponge and and, uh, and and wants to be someone like Dad. And um, the mannerisms are uncanny, and he's got charisma. It's just oozing out of the young eleven-year-old uh, uh, through there. And yeah, it was a fabulous event. It's always been a great event. Um, you know, father, son, and, and there'll be a couple of daughters coming along that are, are playing the game, Matt Kuchar and his, uh, his son there. And they're all very good players. But, you know, you look as far back as the Nicholas family, the mannerisms of Gary Nicholas and Jack Nicholas are very similar. So it doesn't surprise me with, with Charlie having a, 
a, a very similar look to uh, uh, to Tiger. Um, but what a what a mentor to have, hey? Pretty good. Yeah, that's a pretty handy mentor to have. What do you make of young Charlie Swing? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we've been seeing that for about oh, probably eighteen months. Yeah, you know, the little junior event he'd play in Florida, and you know, people would sneak out with a, a camera to uh, you know to take a look at it. Um, obviously, Tiger's got his hands all over it. It's not perfect, but it doesn't need to be, does it? It's uh, Tiger's swing has never been perfect over the years. It looks pretty, but it's you know it's it's actually not the best golf swing out there. So I think it's all the other bits that will come along with Tiger. You know, Tiger through his career really hasn't let a lot out. I, I remember asking him about his putting and saying, "Mate, what do you do with your putting? How, how do you putt?" And he goes, "Oh, I just try to topspin lob." And I go, "Well, what does that mean?" He goes, "Oh, I just try to you know hook the ball with my putter." He gave me nothing, and <laughs> all the other players, he would give you nothing. He was in competition to you, so um, he hasn't put it in a book. Um, only in the last year or so, with Golf TV, that he started to release a few things here and there. But he's kept everything close to his chest. Um, I think this will be the time that he, he starts to let a bit of that knowledge out. And, uh, he, I, you know, he already has, hasn't he? He's, he's starting to let it out with his son and, and the closers around him, from people like, um, you know, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler, that they spend a lot of time there in Florida. But, you know, all signs look towards a good good golf game that, that's there, but you, he's going to have to get the mental side of the game worked out because that was what Tiger was best at. Would he be holding a bit back from his boy in the racing world, uh, Anthony Cummings, and always said that his dad, but he gave him a bit of knowledge, but not too much, because they one day they were going to be competing against each other. Do you think Tiger, given how competitive he is, might just be keeping a couple of things uh, up his sleeve? Oh, I don't think he'll be keeping things up his sleeve. What, what, it'll be very calculated. Everything Tiger's done in his career uh, has been very calculated. So I think he'll give him... A, you know, enough knowledge to be able to work things out himself. And um, that's been the beauty of Tiger. He's worked a lot of things out out himself over the years. So I think that'll be the key, as as any parent, is how much knowledge do you give the kids? How much will they actually take on? And um, uh, I don't think he'll hold back. I think he'll want want to see uh, Charlie, you know, thrive in the game. But if he doesn't, um, he'll just move on and do something else and, um, you know, as I said, what a role model that, that Tiger would be. It's, uh, it, you know, the next phase of Tiger's life is going to be interesting for all of us um, to see where he goes, how long he plays for, because his body's not in great shape. So his next journey might be just following his son and coaching him. You mentioned uh, Justin Thomas there, and uh, Tiger and young Charlie were playing with Justin Thomas and Justin's father, who went on to win the tournament. I was reading that there was even, not trash talking, but... Uh, there's a few little words coming out of young Charlie's mouth as well. We all know uh, Tiger's a pretty intimidating person on the golf course. It seems like uh, he might have picked up that up from his old man as well. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think he might have picked up for the guys around him because Tiger's not a very good trash talker. He's never been great at that. He's, he's a bit of a nerd, actually. So um, I think he's got a bit of that off, off JT, and I think he's got a bit off that of Ricky and the guys that are around there. And... Um, you know, they had a putting cop a few weeks ago. JT for the story they're on the PGA website that uh, you know uh, Charlie was one up with with one to play and said, "Here, yeah, here, I've got a former world number one and 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 supposedly the best player ever to play, and I'm beating them." And Charlie three putted and JT held the putt, and uh, there was the winner. It was JT, so that shut little Charlie up um, <laughs> after that. So pretty cracking story that they're in the backyard putting away and. Uh, I'm sure just being around those guys that uh, it can only enhance whatever he goes on and does in life. Um, golf's one of those great games that there's so much 
to learn um, about life in golf. You know, the ups and downs and the, you know, the, the adversity sometimes. And, um, you know, I think Charlie will he'll go along that journey. So will we see him as one of the world's best players? That's, that's hard to say because there's been some really good players in the past. Their sons or daughters have come along and they've just been okay. They haven't gone on to... You know, be better than their father, other than probably Bill Hass, who who was yeah, you know, has had a few wins on the PGA Tour. Yeah, son of Jay, of course. Now you mentioned in your, your previous answer about uh, Tiger Woods and what his future on the course holds. I guess you know, twelve months ago, he was the big comeback story, winning the Masters, uh, leading the American team to victory in the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne, and then obviously COVID has hit this year and it, it played havoc with golf as well. W- what do you expect from Tiger on course in twenty twenty one? Yeah, it's an interesting one for him. It's, 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 you know, to get up and win that Masters there, I was fortunate enough to be there. That took a lot of effort. Um, I asked all the guys, I've been with Nike for a long time, I said, you know, how much effort was this to Tiger to get up? And they said it took every bit of energy that he had to win this event. So if he's got to do that every time, um, we're not going to see a lot of Tiger this year or next year, 2021. Um, he, he'll focus. He wants to win the Masters again. He might want to win Open Championships, but... It's really getting that that game ready, a bit like a Melbourne Cup runner, you know, getting it ready for that one particular week. And, you know, you better get the best run. You better get every green light to the golf course. Every putt better drop. Um, we're, you know, we're all excited about him playing. And, obviously, he, he, um, he definitely makes people turn the TV on. I just don't think we'll see him a lot this year. It's, it's obviously with COVID being a, a big problem still in the United States, and obviously that's where most of the big tournaments are played, the biggest tour in the world is played in the States. It, it's, I guess it's a bit hard to get a read on what golf's going to look like in 2021. Well, it's going to look very similar to how it looked for the last six months. You know, they've done a pretty good job there on the PGA Tour to get people out and playing. I don't think you'll see many crowds. Um, they've actually put out a full schedule for next year, uh, depending how America goes, it's not, it, it, it's looking worse now than it did three months ago. So, um, you know, a lot of the players there, there was only 19 or 20 cases through players throughout the season that they did play. So uh, that's fairly low compared to the rest of the country. So, oh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they get to Hawaii uh, the first, you know, I think it's the 7th of January, whether they'll be allowed to, you know, to, to head to Hawaii. You know, um, you know, there are not that many cases in Hawaii, so they're, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether they can can facilitate that or not. Um, but it will be different again. You know, they've, this coronavirus is just because the vaccine's here doesn't mean it's over yet, that's for sure. And Cam Smith, it was a great performance at Augusta. We know he's a he's a pretty laid-back sort of kid. He, he's got a nice inner confidence about him. What will that do, that performance at Augusta, going into the, into the majors next year? Oh, it's huge. It's been a big year for Cam Smith. I've known him since he was about 14 or 15. He's always had that little inner confidence about his game and his work ethic backs it up with how hard he works at the game. Uh, it was a real turning point at the President's Cup last year. Ernie Earls, you know, asked Cam to, to stand up and be that player that he needed, um, to, you know, to take on the world's best, and which was JT, J, um, Justin Thomas in that final day. And when he beat JT there, I think that was the coming of, of definitely uh, Ken Smith taking his game to the next level. He goes on, he wins Hawaii, has a bit of a flat spot, but now he, he, he believes he belongs. And, um, you know, that Masters doesn't surprise me. I, you know, I've tipped him um, to win a major next year. I don't know which one. Uh, he's got a game that suits a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the golf courses that will be played next year. Obviously, Augusta, he's had a second and a fourth there. 
there's no reason why he can't, he can't win at Augusta National. It'll be hard and fast next year, uh, opposed to what was soft yeah. and slow this year. So he'll he'll prime. But you know he's he's gone from the conversation that we spoke about: Jason Day, Adam Scott, then Mark Leishman, then uh, Kem Smith. I think the conversation now is Cam Smith, you know, Jason Day, Adam Scott, and Mark Leishman. I think it's all swapped around. Maybe Leish is a little bit higher up the list, but uh, yeah, I think that conversation is a bit different to um, the one in the past. What about our old mate, the Shark? What do we expect from the Shark in 2021? Plenty of uh, shots of him strolling along the beach with his top off again. <laughs> oh, well, the Shark loves bringing attention to himself. He did it with his golf clubs once upon a time. Uh, he can't do that anymore, so he's he's got to find another way. And I guess, you know, taking your shirt off at that age, we're all very impressed with uh and how good a shape he is. Uh, it'd, it'd be lovely to watch him play a few events on the uh, on the Champions Tour, but that that mightn't happen. But, uh, yeah, he certainly does bring attention to himself. Uh, uh, you know, we'd love to have him down here in Australia, maybe for some of those events that have been called off. That's been tough for the younger golfers in Australia. If, if the Shark could come down and do a bit of supporting, that that would be absolutely fantastic for the Australian Tour. Yeah, absolutely. And just before I let you go, you're having a hit today, I hear? Oh, I am. I'm in the. I'm on the tee in 11 minutes. I can't wait. The sun's out. Um, the boys are standing there. This is our last hit before uh, before Christmas, and hopefully, I'll, I take a bit of money off them. Beautiful. Where are you playing today? We're at Stonecutters Ridge, a Greg Norman designed golf course. Actually, I enjoy it here. It's a cooch golf course here in Sydney that that runs a lot. And um, yeah, short hitter like me, I'm now 50 years of age. So I don't hit it that far anymore. I just got to rely on the short game. So um, I like golf courses like this. They're not not so long. 50 years young, Paul. Don't worry about that. Uh, hey, thank you so much uh, for your time. We can't wait for the golf to get underway uh, in 2021. We're all excited what we saw from Charlie Woods as well. Hit him well. Have a great Christmas, and we'll touch base in the new year. Great. Talk then. Take care. Great to have Paul Gow on the line. Does some great work with Fox Sports uh, with the golf coverage. We'll be back after the break to wrap up on SEN Mornings. <laughs> Welcome back to SEN Mornings. Just about done for another morning. Been a great show. Uh, plenty of cricket talk. Plenty of talk about the Australian Open uh, with Todd Woodbridge. And great to sp- speak to Paul Gow then about uh, everything that's going on in golf and uh, the great scenes we saw on the weekend with young Charlie Woods playing alongside his dad, Tiger. Uh, an update from the NBA. What a first quarter. We've been waiting a long time to see Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant uh, play for the first time for the Brooklyn Nets. Combined for 27 points would you believe, uh, in the first quarter. Of course, Kevin Durant coming back from that serious Achilles heel injury. All morning we've been taking your thoughts on the Temper text machine. Temper, a great mattress uh, about father-sons and father-daughters and mother-daughters and mother-son combinations uh, in sport. Another one here coming from the world of harness racing, the first one we've had from harness racing uh, today. The Lang family in harness racing, Hall of Famers, Gavin, son of Graham. So a great nomination there. And also uh, another pretty disappointed uh, Arsenal fan. This might be a Newcastle fan. This actually could be Adam Peacock, who's one of the most frustrated uh, Newcastle United fans. Arsenal fans have nothing to complain about. Try being a passionate Newcastle fan. It's like sticking hot pins in your eyes. The disappointment is the only consistent thing about us. And uh, just repeating those League Cup scores this morning. Brentford beat Newcastle. So an upset there, the championship side beating the Premier League side 1-0. And Arsenal scored once, but Manchester City scored four times. Just repeating that score, Arsenal won, Man City four. So Arsenal out of the AFL Cup 
uh, at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, Sam Hargraves, not too far away. He's going to have a great show today with Craig McDermott. Joining him, Phil Murphy from ESPN to chat about uh, all things NBA, of course. We've got the first game underway between the Nets and the Warriors. Later on, the champions, the LA Lakers, step onto court. On paper, they look an even better team uh, this season. They will take on the... LA Clippers, and uh, he's got a couple of interesting talkback topics, uh, Sammy, that he wants to know. One on the cricket, are Australian fans getting a bit ahead of themselves after winning that first test, and uh, pretty confident that form will continue, particularly with uh, Virat Kohli going home. He's going to count down the top five uh, AFL stories for the year. If you look on the AFL website, Nathan Schmuck's been doing a great job counting down the 50 biggest stories uh, in 2020. It was a big year for news, and particularly with COVID. It was a, an extraordinary year in more ways than one. So he'll unveil the top five stories there. And he wants to know also when has a match or a game been famously stopped? There was a story overnight where the sun interrupted the cricket. Would you believe a summer sport? The Sun interrupting a game of cricket. So Sam wants to know uh, some of your other nominations. Uh, a couple that came, first two that came to my head, I must admit, were the old serial pest, Peter Hoare, that uh, stuffed up our chances of qualifying uh, for the 1998 World Cup when he ran onto the MCG uh, when the Socceroos uh, were, defi- were winning against Iran 2 0. The whole game seemed to change after that. And the 1982 grand final, I'm sure that'll get a big run uh, with Helen D'Amico. And of course, Plugger, the pig. On the ground, Sam, I'm not taking all your nominations, okay? Don't throw your hands up in the air at the back. I'm just trying to help you get some more talk back. I'm trying to get the temper text machine up. 4 Send all your suggestions through to Sam. He needs as many as he can get. He's, he's cracking it out the back here, staying, uh, stealing all his material, but I'm not, and it's going to be a great talkback topic. There's hundreds of them in sports, Sam. If I mentioned three to get the ball rolling... Is that really such a big deal? So, uh, Oh, boy. He's really throwing the toys out of the cot. A-Rod, watch the back of your head. I think he's going to punch you in a second. Update from that NBA game. Uh, the Nets doing it beautifully. 58-39 uh, with uh, just under two minutes to go uh, in the first half there. Reminder to the Lakers and the Clippers uh, coming up a little bit later. Thanks for your company and all your contributions this morning, particularly with our father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, and mother-daughter combinations in sport. Uh, some fantastic nominations uh, across the morning. Uh, it's been a good show. Todd Woodbridge has joined us. Very exciting times. Get your tennis tickets. Uh, only t- about 200,000 available this year when there's normally about 800,000. It's going to be a very, very different uh, Australian Open. Big Bash, of course, uh, returns tonight um, with the Strikers and the Heat. You can hear that on BBL Nation. But coming up next on SEN, Sam Hargraves. He's got a massive show Got about five minutes to calm down before he comes on air. Filling in for Dwayne Russell, as always. Uh, big show coming up. Craig McDermott, his feature guest this afternoon. And then the guys in drive back as well. We'll speak to you soon. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.